most awesome The Carl Nelson Show. Grand Rising Wake Up Squad, and thanks for starting your week with us again. The founder of the Black Lawyers for Justice will be in our classroom later. Uh, attorney Malik Azula Shabazz will examine the legal issues involved in the 2024 presidential elections. Uh, attorney Malik will also provide us with a reparations update. But if you get us started, political blogger Brandon is here. But before we go to Brandon, Kevin, I got a question for you. Good morning, Kevin. Good morning, girl. How you feeling, man? Excellent, brother. Excellent. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but now they're, they're going to institute the Black National Anthem, the Negro National Anthem, whatever you want to call it, during the Super Bowl festivities. I want to get your thoughts on that, because you know the guy who was pushing for it actually started here when we were in the afternoons. Yes. And he was pushing it on the, in the NBA, and he says the next one was going to in the NFL. He wanted the, the, the Black, I think he called it the Negro National Anthem. It was, he, he no, was, it's I think the it was Black from, National Anthem. The Black National Anthem. Yeah, but yeah, it, it, he was, I think he lived in Rockville. He even wrote to LeBron James, he told me, to get the NBA to push it. And he says he wanted to hear it on all sports. Unfortunately, he's not with us anymore. And I can't recall his name, but that's not the issue. Yeah, the issue is, what do you think about it? Because some people, are, are th- some black people don't think it's it's cool. They think they, it wants, they want to negate the fact that the, these, the racism in the country and the fact that brothers were kneeling. And now all of a sudden we're celebrating with the, the Black National Anthem. And they don't think, and they, and the other issue is they don't think it's it's a correct anthem for us right now. It was it was an anthem back then, but not right now. I want to get your thoughts before I go to Brandon. Well, first of all, I think Morgan Freeman should sit down, have a piece of broiled fish or something. See, <laughs> Morgan Freeman is one of the leaders of that thought that it's you know it's uh, all there's no color that we shouldn't separate. You know, I, I, he's the only famous person I know who actually said that. Meanwhile, in my humble opinion, yes, lift every voice and sing till earth and heaven rings. I could go on and on. Just stop me if you not need to. <laughs> but uh, yeah, why not, man? And I thought that they had already instituted the Black National Anthem. It, it just wasn't aired on television. But I could be wrong because uh, the knowledge I have of sports, you could put it in a thumble and. Uh, <laughs> but is it, you don't think it negates the fact that was what was going on with Colin Kaepernick? Now, I, I I'm not I don't think it negates Colin Kaepernick, but what I think it does is it kind of enhances his message. See, because the beginning of a message, the seed, if you will, tends to need to be germinated, um, you know, weeds pulled and watered, and then it it grows. I think Colin Kaepernick began the seed of of this kind of recognition, um, and yet his protest was against the the uh, national anthem, Francis Scott Key's mm. um, a song, which the third verse that we never sing talked about slaves will never be free, you know that sort of thing. So he will, he brought awareness to that, whereas the black national anthem now brings about that diversity that many people have been arguing about and uh, that should that should be recognized after all we are their main source of economy aren't we <laughs> i know you'd go deep i just something told me i know kevin would go deep so, so let me ask you before i ask brandon the question so so do you think 
it, it the black national anthem fits our struggle today because that's the other issue man because of the spiritual overtone the inspiration of the song i believe yes it does work for today it's all about mindfulness again there i go getting deep but it's about mindfulness it's about you know meditation if you will and so if you know thyself if you don't know yourself then you can know no man and so i think it's all about self-identity what what would you say brandon yeah brandon what are your thoughts um you know when i was coming up back in the ancient days uh we would we would go down on the we would go out on the field for the pregame warm-up. Um, then we'd go into the locker room, and we did not um, – we didn't participate. The teams necessarily didn't participate in the national anthem. At least, um, as I can remember in the games – I'm talking about college. Uh, in high school, uh, you know, we had bands, so it was part of what the band did. But I don't recall us in college until we got to the bowl games. And I played in um, – um, uh, two Rose Bowls, uh, let's see, let's see, two Rose Bowl, three three bowl games, two Rose Bowls, and a and a another bowl while I was at USC, and so uh, it has been propagandized. Uh, the moment has been propagandized, and while this propagandization has gone on, I think I don't think that it is appropriate, um, and the reason why is because it is ours. And you, if everyone says, okay, we have to give it to everybody, and just because we're mostly in the sport, it should be played. But that's not why it was written. It was written precisely because the so-called national anthem of this country, which actually really wasn't codified until, I think, the 30s. Um, once again, there was a political reason why it was put out there, just like this political reason why in God we trust money, it was put on our money. But there was also a political reason why it wasn't there for all those years. We, we need to be very careful uh, because it's one of those things that is ours when you learn it. Whether you learn it as a child or whether you learn it as an adult, you kind of realize, okay, this is how no matter what has happened to us in this land, this is how we've been able to give a voice to our struggle, our, our, our existence, and our continued existence that won't be wiped out. And I'm not too sure that I think that that should be commingled with um, some of the business and the propagandization, the jingoism that goes on hey, well, uh, in that, front of these uh, Brandon, sporting games. But Brandon, help me understand this. When the Olympics are being played, they play the, mm -hmm. they play the national anthem of every country that's participating. And mm -hmm. if we see black America as a country, you know, non-immigrant Americans, then that's why I say lift every voice and sing what do you what do you say to that the afro diaspora is around the world i, I raise my cup when uh frenchmen uh who are black uh who play who play soccer win uh <laughs> when the fastest when the fastest humans on the planet live miles from each other in jamaica um you know i i don't i don't uh uh, look for they have their own reasons why they have their allegiance to their countries and i think there's a very there's a much bigger opportunity for the world to shine but it's supposed to come it's supposed to be about the world coming together and the world getting an opportunity to shine and so in the, under those circumstances i absolutely believe that the net different national anthems should be played because we should be celebrating everybody from every point of the world that's the only way we come together but you know what tiktok is doing that for us 
So, so uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not sure that a national anthem is gonna is gonna change more than TikTok already has. Thanks for sharing. Well, well let me ask you this, Brandon. Uh, uh, we talked earlier with with, uh, with uh, Kevin about this. They, they say that the national, the Negro, na- the black, I keep calling the Negro national, the black national anthem, mm-hmm. doesn't fit our struggle today. Your thoughts? Um, I, you know, it depends on what you think the struggle is. It's a healing song. It's a song of 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 striving, perseverance, and, um, you know, look, when you're a young man, this is, this is, you guys are a little bit older than I am, but when you you go through different stages and you're taught about Dr. King when you're a kid, when you become a young black man in America, you, you gravitate more to Kwame Turi, uh, to Malcolm X. You gravitate more to people who, who had more fight uh, for what you consider, you know, before you understood the psychology, what King was doing had, that had more direct, words and fight for it and then and then move to a broader sense when you get a little older when you have kids yourself or you have a home yourself or you have things that you have to to deal with and understand that there's a bigger connection and so in this situation there are going to be people who say that um that's why i say that it's to stay ours though so let that let that debate hold off um for the afro-american diaspora so you don't think it negates anything that uh, colin kaepernick was doing no, that was a uh, that was a, um, what he was doing was talking about a part of the system that kills us, and um, it, that hasn't, as we've seen, that hasn't gone away. Um, Tyree Nichols gives you an example of um, for every black person that sits on the Republican side and says that, and I say this directly, and says that. Uh, uh, um, Police brutality is gone, uh, that racism is over, racism never existed in this country forever. We got, we have a martyr. And so what he was doing was, he was saying, hey, you know, we're coming together, we're doing this stuff, but we need to be seen as human beings. Our biggest two fights in this country is to be seen as human beings and full citizens. And the problem that occurs quite often is that not only do do does that lapse because the system's not set up that it's it's based in the constitution on our 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 dehumanization but all we often forget ourselves and so what's uncomfortable for us quite often is the thing that should be approached and i'm 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 saying that uh, i disagree with the idea of making letting our national anthem be used to comfort the situation. I'm going to talk about what I call comfort Negroes anyway later on in the show. So I'm not saying this is that. I'm not saying this is that, but I'm saying that we we shouldn't lend uh, the ideals of what this um, represents to a system that is willing to dehumanize us, you know. So do you think people who support the move, because I know there had to be some brothers and sisters who pushed for this to take place in, in part of the uh, Super Bowl festivities. I got my hand up. I support the idea. <laughs> All right. So let me ask the question. You think they're sellouts, Brandon? <laughs> no. 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 Not 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 it's not it's not that drastic for me. I don't I don't think they're sellouts. I wouldn't I wouldn't say that at all. I'm not saying that because this this is why one of those this is one of those things where, you know, we're going to debate about and we should. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm more I'm more for the discussion and the debate and and the exchange of ideas in certain situations. Now, some situations are you know that that absolutely is not the case for me. But in this this is one of those things because it's ours. Well, with so, that, yeah, we being, talk with about that being said, allow me, if you will, to give my humble opinion again, and that is, in order for there to be a healing, there must be a sickness. The sickness that's going on in America can be healed through music, and I still submit to you gentlemen 
the black national anthem, the African-American national anthem, the Negro national anthem, the non-immigrant American national anthem, gentlemen. Well, uh, not to to take up all the time, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to say we gave the world, we gave them in the world rhythm and blues. We gave them in the world gospel. Amen. We gave them in the world, we gave them in the world rock and roll. We gave them in the world um, funk. We gave them in the world jazz, Jazz. all of jazz. We gave, we gave, we gave them in the world later on uh, uh, funkadelic. We gave them in the world uh, hip hop. We gave them in the world uh, rap. We gave them in the world. We tried to bring music out that heals every time, and every new generation of the system has to still deal with the ideals that dehumanize us, and we still fight for those martyrs that are killed trying to sell a cigarette, that are killed playing in the park, that are killed by police officers who do a roundabout and knock, knock a guy's head off. Every time we try to use music, they come back with violence. And I always go back to the beginning of our uh, quote-unquote emancipation. It wasn't an old man in the sky that emancipated the brothers and sisters, and it wasn't, wasn't an angel. Um, it, was, it was good sights on rifles and the lead that was put in those rifles. And we must understand that there's a reality to, to fighting for your rights and living your rights. And I'm not saying you know, that's, that we should go into full um, revolution, but I am saying that um, the idea of lending some of our some of our we no longer need to give our guts for these things but that's well my said. well said brother well said all Dig. right hold that thought right there brandon and kevin we got to take a short break take our first uh, break 13 14 now after the top there we're back in four minutes you want to join this conversation with our political blogger brandon kevin's also here reach out to us at 800-450-7876 your phone calls in four minutes right here in baltimore on 1010 wolb if you're in the dmv you're on fm 95.9 and am 1450 wol where information is power And good morning, family. It's 20 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, political blogger, Brandon. And, Brandon, you know, before we get into politics, I just want to thank you for saying that we're not having a debate. We're having a discussion here along with Kevin because, you know, in a debate, it tries to determine who's right and who's wrong, who wins and who loses. Mm-hmm. Discussion, we try to make people think. You said something that made me think. You, you, you mentioned all these accomplishments. You and Kevin mentioned all these musical accomplishments. The question I have for, for I guess, both of you, do you think everybody knows those accomplishments? And that's only music, you know. Do you think our people, our young people, know that we invented all these oh. different genres? Y- yes, absolutely. It's it, the, the interesting thing, if you look and see, um, especially if you look at the, the Internet around the world, right? Hip-hop has seeped into every corner of music every type and it's used in different ways the beats that are african in their in their origin and afro-american in their um use and it's gone all over the world right it's 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 everyone is i'm not just talking about rap which is the the the, the syncopated or asynchronous um um lyric reciting I'm talking about just the rhythms and how they're used and things. And now, you know, and you remember this because you went with um, Jesse Jackson, I believe, to Africa to meet with uh, Nelson Mandela. Am I correct about that? You were out there with that. Um, yeah, when he got released. Yeah, yeah, I was there. Right, right. So the, one of the big things that was used in the anti-apartheid 
movements in South Africa was this this the students their music their dancing now I'm not saying I'm not talking about you know buck shining or you know what we are told is supposed to be the this is goes back to what you're saying before what we're told is supposed to supposed to you know calm the beast kind of thing no they were doing dances within it were movements that were that were against the state if that makes sense you have to live in an apartheid country to understand what that so much is controlled even the movements you make could be deemed offensive by the authorities and these students would all gather together and they would do these dances in in their marches it would it was a celebration of of their bucking the system of stopping apartheid right if you think about artists like Hugh Masekela and 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 um different african artists their stuff is is completely come back a great deal of our mo- of our movement is a throwback to those those uh, those decades of the 60s and 70s in Africa, you can put those you can put those things, you know, right next to each other. So what am I saying? And and even uh, Carl, supposedly some of the stepping that, that ended up in our uh, fraternities and sororities, supposedly uh, this is what I've heard. Now you, you'd have to get a uh, an expert on this. Came from the mine code that was used by the South African miners in the diamond mine. Wow. So what I'm saying is what I'm saying is these things have kind of in a Taurus effect come back around and we 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 use these things. We these things are, are remarkable in the use for us moving forward. No, they haven't forgot it. They are living. They are living and breathing in the DNA of this. Now most of the men and women that started those movements and started those dances, that started that type of music, most of them are gone. So it's their children that are seeing this return, and it's not it's not like a, a conscious return, but we've kept it going in the DNA of the music so long that that it's there. So, of course, they do. Now, I started a band um, back in the day. Uh, uh, like I said, it was kind of a, um, a funk jazz band I, because I had an argument with my father because all of his contemporaries were dying. All of his jazz contemporaries were dying. The people he grew up with, the people that was coming of the age music, it was Miles Davis. You know, um, there was all the people that he, you know, he had he had lost um, 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 a great deal of the musicians, Coltrane, and early on. But then it came a time when they started dying off, right? And I started his band to tell him the jazz wasn't dead. And in that band, I had Kamasi Washington. Um, um, the Bruner brothers, one guy named Thundercat, who's, who's well right. They're all these are all well on the Graves brothers, and between them all, um, right now from that band, I think there are six Grammys and and two Oscar nominations. This is just this from a small band in Los Angeles to make the point that no jazz isn't dead. A new generation has found it. And so, yes, I think that these young people absolutely understand some music. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to you know, turn on the radio and hear or go on the Internet and hear ragtime music. <laughs> you might because, because the grandson – this is one of my statements. The grandson is more like the grandfather than the father to buck against what they've been raised with their father. They often go into their grandfather's trunk and be like, I don't think anybody knows about this treasure chest I found. So you might see a, ver- a, a version of ragtime coming up, asynchronous rap which used to be kind of relegated to the poetry scene, has now become much of the norm. But I am saying, though, that there there are bits and pieces of the DNA all over the world, and they are articulated every day. I concur. Every day it comes up. I I agree with you, Brandon. 
idea that the knowledge gets passed down, you, like you were talking about the African artists like Feta Kuti or Angelique mm -hmm. Kidjo, mm -hmm. and people like that uh, are expressing the pain and the anguish and the victory of overcoming uh, the oppression in South Africa and places mm -hmm. of that nature. And while meanwhile, mm -hmm. when Quincy Jones did Back on the Block, they made references to Birdland and, and there were young rappers mm -hmm. inside of that album talking about yes. bringing that together and so you can't you can't step away from the uh, origins of the music and the origins of the steps and the dancing and uh, and the and like you said the very beat of things when Michael Jackson went to Africa and, and did the song they don't really care about us that was a protest mm -hmm. a protest song in and of itself and uh, so uh, yeah I I agree I think that that knowledge transcends even if they can't name the names, it's the, it's the right. music in and of itself that uh, still grows and, and, and evolves into what the music is of today. Would you agree? Yes, I would say look at the energy of old school Lindy Hop, right? Yeah. Now, it's, it's back in the day when there was the Cab thing Calloway. that changed is – <laughs> right, right. The things that have changed are the partnerships, right? So Lindy Hop required a kind of partnership, right, with you and her. That was that was accelerated and, and, and shown in a different way in, in the whole Soul Train movement, right? But now it's actually more – I'm just playing this out. If anybody's ever get a chance, go online, go, watch, go on YouTube or wherever you watch your videos at, and go online and watch the Nicholas Brothers in their segment, I believe it was Stormy Weather. Go watch that. And then just just they're brilliant, by the way, but just pay attention to the fact that the, how they're moving and then put, take that frame work and put it on how we move today. There's more of a singular connection and it, it's the it's the kinetic movement, how the fastness, the what they're moving. And then you'll see once you look at it, you'll see, oh, that's an African move right there. Or that's something that the Nicholas Brothers, okay, that's what they – now, it's not that I'm saying that they're consciously doing it. As a matter of fact, every generation thinks they, they reinvent the wheel, but that's fine. That's fine. The thing to understand is, for instance, we used to pop lock, something called pop lock. That's what Michael Jackson actually – one of the things that he adopted, adapted. Right, so right. His, rerun, rerun from that uh, TV show was, was one of the poppers on Soul Train. Uh, okay, go ahead. Uh, Fred Barry. <laughs> We lost Brandon. We may have lost Brandon, Kevin. All right, let me make that call. See if he, uh, while he's doing that, let me just, because, you know, earlier we were discussing about political uh, uh, music and, and politics and Brandon mentioned obviously in South Africa when Mandela got released. And while, while I was there, the popular song or dance was called a toy toy. And uh, it, it just reminded me of what everybody's doing with this and doing the toy toy. And so I just uh, let, let me Google it and see what he says. And, and this is what he says. Uh, Wikipedia says about Toy Toy. Toy Toy is a Southern African dance used in political protest in South Africa. Toy Toy could begin as the stomping of feet and spontaneous chanting during protests that could include political slogans or songs, either improvised or previously created. So that was the back yeah. then when Mandela got released, they were, the dance, the particular song was called the Toy Toy. Everybody's trying to teach us how to do the Toy Toy. Says, you guys need to oh, okay. take us back okay. to the States and adopt it. Yeah, but anyway, yeah, interesting. Yeah. But let me ask you this, though, Brandon, because you mentioned Lindy Hop and all those old and, and jazz. So you don't think the, mm -hmm. the people who dug 
jazz where Rinta Miles and Coltrane, you don't think they've aged out? Because that's, as far as the radio people are concerned, that's why you don't hear it on the radio anymore, because they say it's, it's no, aged well, out. Well, it's, you say that, but it's like I said, it, I think it's probably going to be gen, the alpha, the new alpha generation who are probably uh, 13, 14 years old. They're going to find it. And that you have to understand that everything is in cycles. And uh, there was a time I grew up uh, um, um, in the television era, okay? And as you say, latchkey kids and stuff. And I, I used to watch these cartoons. And one thing that you realize, especially in uh, from Warner Brothers, uh, that because Warner Brothers had their label on the other side, so they actually would play these songs, man. You would hear these tremendous songs playing, uh, you know, because they were trying to sell their music as well. And um, that one of those, and some of those things was my first my first uh, connection with seeing some of the, the musicians. There was a famous short of Cab Calloway. Um, I think he was with Betty Boop. Um, it was my first time seeing that cat, but I had always heard it as a child. My father was hugely into jazz. His top greats, you know, uh, uh, were um, piano players and, you know, Red Garland. And, and he, loved, he loved Miles, but, you know, when Miles – changed he, he, he that wasn't his thing you know but he but i i heard that the whole time so when you say age out there are there are remarkable jazz musicians is is uh the early halcyon days of um of great trumpet and cornet players going to come back i don't know i don't know it's something that we because remember those were the early days when louis armstrong um helped create what would be later become the basis for jazz and then move to Chicago. And I said this on the show before, so it's nothing new for people who listen. The thing that the thing that he did was he adopted technology. He was a tech guy. And so his technology that he adopted was the bass pickup mic. What that did is it allowed his group, the Louis Armstrong's hot five, right? It allowed them to play longer and stronger. Because back in New Orleans, you had to have a great you had to have a great uh, tubist, or you had to have a great guy. I don't think they were using the sousaphone yet, but that's fine. Wh- whatever whoever was holding the wind had to have a he- heck of a diaphragm, and that's how you kept time. And once you add that pickup to the bass, you change the game. Right now, he's doing long, you know, he's doing long solos, and they're ripping, and they're remarkable, and they're fanatical, and they're he was a bigger star. Um, if, rel- relatively, as Michael Jackson was in his day, talking about Louis Louis Armstrong. Yeah, is right. that going to come back? Is that going to come back? I don't know. I don't. You know, it's not up to us to choose what instrument or w- what vibe the next generation is going to pick up. But I do not believe that jazz is going to disappear in a way. I I, I think I was just watching. Um, I just watched the movie The Sting again, and I just thought about how beautiful. Uh, uh, the ragtime music in that was. I just thought about how, but that was a throwback. They actually reached back for that. And it's one of the more, um, the deeper parts of that film is the fact that they went and got that music. Later on, there would be a movie called Ragtime that would be talking about the race 
interracial situations that were going on at those times where they had they went and got James Cagney, one of the so-called great jazz actors, right, who was a song man. He was a song and dance man. He didn't steal basically from all the black people, but as a white man, he helped to bring them along. The, he helped to bring the white culture along to kind of understand what was going on. I'm not saying that, you know, that uh, that they – you know, towered in jazz just because of him. But I'm saying that we don't get to choose what the next iteration of how that how it's expressed. But it's going to be because we have too many giants. There, there, there's too many, you know, there's, and there's, there's now a lot of music to mine and pull up and see, you know, uh, what's happening. If you notice on TikTok, there are um, um, specific songs that are used over and over again as background songs for whatever little thing is going on. And there's a bunch of artists that have, you know... Yeah, and hold that right there, that. Brandon. we got to take a short break, yeah. and, and we can say that for commercials as well. We'll get into politics, I promise you, family, but we got to step aside. We'll be back in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLD, also in the DMV on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information, is power. Family, 21 minutes away from the top of the hour with our guest political blogger, Brandon. Number to call to speak to Brandon is 800-450-7876. And we'll get to politics. This is how the nature of this program runs. Sometimes the ancestors take over. We go in a different direction, but we'll get to politics. I promise you that. Coming up later this morning, we're going to speak with uh, attorney Malik Shabazz. He's going to examine the legal issues involved in the 2024 presidential election. He's also going to provide us with a reparations update. Malik is the founder of the Black Lawyers for Justice. Later this week, you're going to hear from the University of Houston's Dr. Gerald Horn. Also, holistic Dr. Stephen. Tates will be here along with Afrocentric educator Dr. Kemet Shockley. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio is locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, Brandon, I'll let you finish your thought. Right. So, so I was talking about the background songs that are used for to make these videos on TikTok and Instagram. And there was one that, that became real huge, right? It, it was a song that you play when you're trying to show your girlfriend, you guys at the beach, and you try to you take a video of her smiling, or you show your kid, uh, your brand new baby kid walking the first steps, or you show your puppy that you love or a cat, and it's called Little Boo Thing. It's made by a guy named Paul Russell, okay? Now, it is a – what he got to remix, the song that he used uh, to remix is a song called Best of My Love. Best of My Love was sung by The Emotions. Okay, this is almost 50 years ago, and it was written by Maurice White. This man, this, this young brother, reaches back 50 years. I don't, I, I don't even know if he's 22 years old. And he grabs his song. He puts his funk on it. People, you know, we had this argument about sampling a long time ago. As a matter of fact, um, George, brother George Clinton of uh, Funkadelic Parliament, Brides of Funkenstein fame, just got his uh, star on the walk of fame in Hollywood. Um, he was he was one of the bigger cases back in the day when they were sampling, uh, and because they were they were uh, sampling a lot of his tunes, and he's one that kind of helped set up the laws of sampling. But my point is, we don't get to choose how what is used is used. But this young brother took the song; it's it, it's funky. He adds a different bass to it. He took the music out, but it starts. You would recognize when the song starts. And that's that's what I'm saying. There's a connection that's there. It's already there. This guy probably went. He obviously went back to his. Uh, that song was made when I think when I was two years old. So he went back and and went to his great grandfather's uh, 
chest, you know, and, and pulled it out. And, and that's what that's what's going to happen. And it almost always happens. That's the, one of the richness of our of, of creating music through the black community. Now, if you want to get into the music companies, that's a different story, because I think that they're strangling um, creativity. And it, you're going to see there's going to be a giant gap of um, of musical creativity and prosperity that's going to be seen in the timeline of music in the United States right now because of what some of the record labels and record companies are doing. Hey, look, look, Brandon, this guy with the little boo thing, I wonder, are the emotions getting any royalties on that? Because uh, it was brilliant when he did it. And and I think part of the Mm -hmm. TikTok popularity is then people start doing dance moves to it as well Mm -hmm. to to Mm -hmm. turn it into Mm -hmm. another level of of the dance craze, as well as uh, it reminds me, it's reflective of Bruno Mars, when he started doing Uptown Funk and then he covered mm-hmm. that song by Confunction, it's all about appropriating our music, it seems now. But uh, I, 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 kudos to the guy, the little boo thing. Well, I, well, I mean, to answer, to answer your question, uh, and not to cut you off, but to answer your question, no, go ahead. Um, he, had to, he, he didn't clear it. So he, the he reason didn't. why it took so long, for, no, the reason why it took so long for him to get it out was that he had to clear it. You see what I'm saying? Like yeah. the walls are in there now. He he put it out there. It became viral. But in order for him, because remember, he, well, you may not know this, but he only put out the first couple bars. He didn't have a complete song. He's he's just a kid. This is some music that he knows of, and he finds it. And that's what I'm saying. He's mining into into oh, a lot of wow. um, this, and a lot of musicians. That's offensive. Now Bruno, uh, I don't know if Bruno Mars, uh, the um, the producer. That song, Uptown Funk, was sued by all kinds of people because there were so many samples taken from all over the place. Yes. Um, there was, yeah, so, so yeah, that, and it was, it was one of the biggest songs um, uh, for about two years, honey. So, it, it, you know, it, there, there are, fortunately now, there are avenues that some of the artists go to. I don't know. You know, who holds the rights to everything? As you know, some rights are written away, and that's another uh, tragic uh, story, one of the stories in uh, in Parliament's line, because some of that stuff, you know, doesn't, uh, from what I understand, for years it didn't. They maybe got the rights back. But it, it's, you know, it's, it's uh, what I'm trying to say is, that without talking about the, the more controversial issue of people sampling, is that they will find a way to take the DNA of, of the creativity that was before them and, and, and reintroduce it into a new, now the emotions have been reintroduced to what would be their great grandchildren. That was a great song, by the way, but <laughs> emotions. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, it was. That, that's my generation. <laughs> the emotions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Carl, look, man, I drive, I drive down Hollywood Boulevard with the top down uh-huh. on fat Betty, man. And I blast it. <laughs> I blast that song and people start dancing. They looking around and stuff because I got a convertible. So you know, I'm down there like, yeah, this is the real song right here. Yeah. This right here is the real song. You know, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I bring it back memories. I'm working in Vegas when that song was a hit. So I, I remember okay, that. Okay, okay. Yeah. Fifteen. Here's what's interesting. Okay, I know right. you got to go, but here's what's interesting. These songs become the scores to our coming of age. They, they are burned into our experiences. The first time you dance, the first time you meet that girl, yeah. the first time you, you go to this. And the importance of what they have, the good ones, almost always last and come back. It's a trip. It, when you see it happen, you go, oh, okay, that's what's going on. That's what's, 
You know, that's what the deal is because people, they, they, they go through some of the same experiences with some of the same. I don't know all the rap that's out right now, but I know rap that was out when I was coming up. You know what I'm saying? That's, just, that's the way that it's connected. Sure. Is that the same reason why we've seen a lot of these in commercials now? These songs? What, rap? Or just music, some of the music from the past. Yeah, yeah. I think it's because Gen X, which is my generation, they they become the heads of the boards and the heads of the ad companies and the heads, you know, they're of a certain age and they're introducing it. Millennials, of course, are a certain age. So those things are and they've heard them all their lives. So if you're trying to make a sale, you use something that is that is familiar. You know, you use the tunes that are familiar and you bring them in and you, and you make it happen. It's, it, it, it's you know, you never saw rap out. As a matter of fact, you didn't even see a lot of black music out uh, in the early when the when the video show started, especially MTV. Michael Jackson had to basically he was to threaten to leave the label if they didn't get behind him, and 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 forced to have his music played on MTV. You know, so but now it's ubiquitous, and it's ubiquitous because, like I said, these this music becomes part of your soundtrack, your your coming of age soundtrack, and so once you get a little older, it's not a big thing. You want it, the the Ad people want you to hear the song in line with their, you know, uh, widget number 4938, you know what I'm saying, or the Cromwell 6 boots or whatever they're trying to sell. They want you to, to, to immediately associate themselves with, with a, a tune or, or, or maybe connect into something that's in your history. Right. It's called anchoring you, because you know what you like because you like what you know. And so consequently, mm-hmm. by picking one of those songs, the publishing company needs to make money. So they'll pull up an old Michael Jackson song. They'll pull up an old James Brown beat and, and then associate sure. that with a record so you can get on up and go buy it. Right. You see what I did there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I thought, yeah, but, I thought, but yeah, it, it's, and you're, you're going to be sued, by the way. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you, but, you know, fellas, it, it, it's not by accident. So sometimes you, you're watching a commercial and you hear a song that you used to dig back in the day. And, oh, but but for, how does that work? Because most of the times it tells them don't use the familiar songs because it, it tunes out. People don't listen to the message. They, they're grooving on the music. So how, why would they use a music that you know was popular back then, like you said, to reach into the recesses of our memory bank, and and so we'll start digging the music and not thinking about the product. I well, the, I think that there's two schools of thought with that. In in uh, when I used to work at KJLH, I often talked to some of the sales staff because I would often say something crazy. I was younger. I would say something crazy on the radio, and their problem was that I was saying something in juxtaposition to a sale that they made. Right. So if I'm sitting there talking about we need to be in the streets talking about this, blah, blah, blah. And then right after it comes, you know, uh, Lisa's flowers. That blah, she doesn't want to be associated with us, you know, marching in the streets. And that's when I first made the association with how you have to, you know, uh, you have to make like you on this show. You make an understanding that we have discussions and we talk about certain things. But the music itself, sometimes it's used. But right now, you know, Carl, it's all about notice. It's all about getting eyes. It's all about getting attention. Um, and, and when we get into the political talk, that's exactly what it's about. And, and by the way, um, the, the slices have gotten wafer thin, and they are they're gossamer in how long they last. And so um, each entity, whether it's ad, whether it's uh, media company, whether it's a record label, they're all trying to get as much attention as they can towards or, or, or some sort of towards their bottom line for their profit so they can make sales around that. That happens in a way 
unfortunately, that makes this engine just completely turn and churn beyond what you may think used to be, you know, um, they're not, they're not, they're not gonna, they're only gonna listen to the song and not, hey, they'll be happy if all you get from this is the song because the next 17 times they play it, they know at least one of those times you're gonna turn around and look and see, well, what, what exactly, why do they keep playing this? And you're gonna see, uh, you know, Red Ball from, you know, from the liquor company or whatever. All right, well, uh, I guess if, ex, thanks for explaining that, why they do that. Uh, Ten away from the top, yeah, but let's let's get into some politics, though, Brandon. The field is narrowing for the Republicans. It looks like Donald Trump is unstoppable at this point. H- how do you see it? It was never wide. And I got to – it was never – there was never a horse race here. Who – who does anybody in this nation think that, 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 that any of the characters that were running – president had a chance from the moment Trump was the presumptive nominee, the moment he left in a, what I would call in a punk huff after he had gotten uh, beaten. He, he, his ability to deny reality kept him in line and to actually convince and and motivate many who would uh, deny reality as well with him. That made him the presumptive nominee from from the very beginning. The the only people, and this this goes exactly to what we were just talking about. The only people that wanted you to think that this was a horse race were the media companies. And I can delineate exactly, or let me say in a fuzzy way, not exactly, um, what's happened like at a company like MSNBC, and show you the people that they've. You know, gotten rid of. There's a remarkable moment, and we'll talk about this in a moment. Um, where um, um, uh, they have the, there's a new podcast called um, the Native uh, Native Land Podcast, and Tiffany Cross is one of the people. It's Tiffany Cross, Andrew Gilliam, who used to be the mayor of Tallahassee, and Angela Rye, and Tiffany Cross goes on there and she explains. How she, she explains her show, her treatment at MSNBC, and how they fired her, how and why they fired her, why she believes they fired her. And that right there tells you, it gives you the feeling of what's going on. No, Trump wasn't. He was never challenged. The field is not narrowing. It never was wide to begin with. These people were, let me say, the field was uh, shoulder wide. And these people have always been, you know, six steps and two days behind Trump. It's not, there was never a challenge. To whether or not he was going to be there, the, the all right. The, so hold that, the, the, that thought right there, because what you're yeah. basically saying, oh, what, what we've been going through for the last, I guess, year and a half is just theater, <laughs> and, and and the reality is coming to push now. So it, having said that, what's going to happen? I mean, we're going to take this short break. When you come back, and you tell us what's going to happen. Also, I want to talk about Nikki Haley, uh, uh, mm-hmm. saying that there's no racism in America. I want to get your thoughts on if how she how does, could she come to that 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 point of view or is this another or is she still auditioning to be uh, trump's vice president i want to get all your thoughts about that family you want to join this conversation with brandon reach out to us at 800-450-7876 at six minutes away from the top yeah, i'll be back in four minutes though right here in baltimore on 1010 wlb in the dmv we're on fm 95.9 and am 1450 wol where information is power
And good morning, family. And thanks for rolling with us this morning. Our guest is political blogger Brandon, discussing politics, of course. Before we left, uh, we were discussing the field as narrowed. Now that Sanders has stepped down. But Brandon says that it was sort of preordained. It's kind of like some Mark Mannheim uh, theory here that uh, Trump is going to be the nominee. So I want to get your thoughts. Uh, so all of this was just, uh, you know, an exercise in what, Brandon? Um, futility. Uh, they weren't... They weren't ever going to be. No one uh, rustled a challenge against him. And I don't know, you know, I'm not going to, I don't know if there was a conspiracy to make it. Look, I just, they, they didn't have a chance. I mean, the party has decided that it's going to go fascistic. Um, that's what they're they're deemed on. To, they're not enough Republicans. They're not enough uh, um, Republicans in office who will speak out against Trump for anything, regardless of the fact that they spoke out, some of them spoke out against him. In the beginning, Kevin McCarthy um, actually gave a speech where he spoke out against Trump after uh, after Jan six and, uh, you know, folded later on and was crumpled up like a piece of uh, aluminum and and passed out with the uh, with the waste. Um, it's just in that you have a you have a couple of Republicans that have soon retired rather than speak out against Trump right away. So. No, he was never he was never in danger of not being the only thing that is uh, that that has endangered his his uh, leading or being the presumptive nominee is his cognitive abilities, which seem to be fading. So, I, I mean, you know, he seems to be making mistake after mistake after mistake almost in, in every one of his rallies. But no, he was never. I'll give you an example of what can actually tell you, show you okay. what I'm talking about. The other candidates were campaigning. All of them were doing, you know, meet and greets and the handshakes and, you know, putting putting the uh, uh, what they had their ideologies in, in the small places. This is, you know, when they went to the first uh, primary and even the second one. Trump isn't holding rallies. He's not holding any of those. You know, he's not because he doesn't have to, and he never he never did have to. But like I said before, the media. Especially uh, even MSNBC in a, in a very hardcore way, they needed. They still want those eyes. We just got finished talking about this in the entertainment industry, but it's actually uh, very pervasive in news media as well. They need the eyes, Carl. So they're, you know, they want they wanted people to believe that there was some sort of horse race, and it's ridiculous. It, it was ridiculous. And the reason why I'm saying it's ridiculous is because if you can make it a horse race. You can spread thin the so-called ideologies that's going on rather than really speak on the racism, the authoritarianism, the fascism that's coming out of this man's mouth and, and how they're all backing him. You see, if you can if you can show that they all they seem to be diverse, but they weren't. They never were. Yeah. And and with DeSantis DeSantis leaving that pretty much, you know, seals the deal. Right. And we're going to break that down, his thoughts, uh, Donald Trump's thoughts, uh, if he gets uh, reelected. But let me ask you this, though. Uh, Nikki Haley said that, uh, that America is not a racist country. She basically, on one hand, she said she experienced racism. She was a, she keeps calling herself, describing herself as a brown person, whatever that means. Mm-hmm. But she says mm-hmm. there's no racism in America. I want to get your thoughts on that. Is, is this a dog whistle to the MAGA crowd? Well, she's a comfort. She's what I what I what she's part of what I would call a comfort Negro, and and the idea. What I mean by that is they're brought in, they're let into the circle of whatever it is, whether it's politics, business, whatever, to make 
the the white folks who would who adhere to um, a racist system um, to make them feel comfortable about what they're saying and doing, to make them think, well, we're not racist because we have this black person, you know, Tim Scott. Tim Scott's, you know, right outside on the lawn, so we know that we're not racist, even though we're doing things that you know are monstrous against. A part of our population and people of color, um, even even the misogyny. I can tell you that because she says that, right? She said that this is not racist, not has not a, a racist country. America is not a racist country, and it hasn't been a racist country. And seconds after that, Carl, seconds. I counted eight. It might have been thirteen. She says I can remember experiencing racism when I was a kid. So, you know, it's not only her. Her her position is not only um, wildly off the mark in reality. She's not even smart enough to hold it together when she gets when she uses quote unquote racism and her making it through racism as part of her origin story. She can't hold it together. You know, it's it's so ridiculous up front that she immediately tosses it to tell her origin story. You know what? I'm still tripping. You know, folks, I hope you it, Brandon did a drive by on Tim Scott. He said Tim Scott's still on the lawn. I hope, I hope that didn't go over everybody's head. By the way, I'm still yeah, tripping on uh, that. One. Oh man, the sickle, the sickle fan, the sycophantic um, way that he, because he, you know, he he got behind Trump uh, a day or two days ago, and it was it was like there was slobber all over the microphone. It was just ridiculous, you know. Yeah. And, and you're standing there with people who are you right now. The Trump to 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 keep Nikki Haley, quote unquote, in her place. Trump started to say this scurrilous stuff that she, uh, according to the Constitution, now imagine this: according to the Constitution, she doesn't qualify. Basically, like the same kind of lie he told about President Obama: she's a foreigner. She should no. She's just brown. She was her parents are foreigners. She was born here. So, and Tim Scott is like, oh well, you know, hey. I'm gonna I'm gonna endorse this guy after he says something so incredibly insane. After said, so, come on, come on, yeah, <laughs> yeah dig it. It, it. It's crazy. You, you know, he's and this is one of the questions you're going to ask Attorney Malik because Trump is, uh, you know, he's banking that the Supreme Court will, will okay, will you know, rule in his favor. But having said that, mm-hmm. if he's elected, and this is a question from Malik, I just want to get your thoughts on it. And the Supreme Court rules on a decision he doesn't like. As a dictator, he'd be able to dissolve the entire Supreme Court because he says he's going to change the country. He's going to get rid of the federal government. So the next step is a dictator is get rid of the Supreme Court. Do you think those folks who are sitting on the Supreme Court now on that panel think about this, consider this when they make decision when when the appeals reach their desk? Once again, it goes back to your um, comrades in the media. Um, like them, I think that the conservative Supreme Court feels that they could survive another Trump um, administration. I think these these um, people who are in the higher up, and now we can say, you know, there are black people who contribute to it as well, um, feel that, you know, as long as they get the money and make the money, they can survive another Trump. It wasn't so bad, blah, blah, blah. Um, I think that people that will be in danger won't necessarily be the Supreme Court. It'll be the courts below that. The courts below that. He said there would be retribution. He said that. And I think he means what he says in that area, or at least the people below him mean to enact or to act on those words. And I think that the people who would be um, in line are people like yourself, uh, this show, people like myself who've spoken out on it, 
Um, and don't don't ever think that you're too small to be made an example of in, in a situation like that. So no, I don't I don't I don't feel that that the Supreme Court, you know, the at least the the conservatives on the Supreme Court have much work. I mean, Clarence Thomas is bought. He is a pet of Harlan Crow. He is a pet. The man bought his mama a house. I believe he he bought the house across the street because they was annoying his mama. Uh, he, he ended up paying for his his grand nephew school. I mean, it's, the corruption is right there in front of the face of the United States of America. Nothing's happening. So, you know what's interesting you know, about that, Brandon? They they talk about Hunter Biden, who somebody gave a loan, uh, loaned. That's the key word there, Hunter Biden uh, money. They never talk about uh, Clarence, that was given money, and he's on the Supreme Court. Uh-huh. Hunter Biden is a private citizen. They never they never right. discuss the, have a conversation, but both of those individuals in the same term. Your thoughts? Well, that's the the purpose of Hunter Biden is to um, deflect you or deflect um, eyes away from uh, the corruption that surrounds the the Republicans and what they've done and how far they've taken. And there's always been, you know, there's always been people on the take. We understand this. That's, you know, the nature of humanity. I'm not going to sit here and say that no one else does it, but the the level of it and the, and the harm that it's doing is remarkable. They was just, they, they just found, uh, uh, they just had a financial, um, a report where they said that Trump took in about $7.8 million from foreign entities while in office. The highest one, China. The entire time he was trying to tell you that China was your enemy and anybody who was associated with China and how the the government, the, the Justice Department went after people who were had association with China the entire time, he's telling you this. He's taking money from them. Now think about that. Think about think about. I mean, think about what that really says out there, right? He doesn't give a damn what you think and how you're thinking about certain things. But not just him, but the circle of people around him, because there were there weren't a bunch of Republicans, America First Republicans, that stood up and said, "Wait a minute, this man is setting up the office of the presidency for sale." None of them stood up and none of them stood up and said that. Not one. But do you think they understand that? Do you think they know what's really going on? Or, this, or, or they're in a maze or something with this this Trump person that they can't think straight. How, how do you how do you view them though? Because they just repeat what he says. Well, his constituents, you know, are a part of um, kind of um, they're kind of locked in this thing that I call, you know, this this certitude, this maze of certitude where they actually believe and confirmation bias is a tool that's used in that. So everything they want to believe, he just simply tells them. And he said, you know, they've been wanting to believe that, you know, all these black people are getting stuff that they're not getting. Or they've been wanting to believe that, you know, one of the biggest problems of this country is the brown people coming aboard over the border. When I can point to you, you know, many parts of America that's somehow being settled by Russians coming out of nowhere. You know how they get over. I have no idea. So there, no, that's his constituency. But the but the the politicians know, and they like they they believe they'll survive it. Some of them are straight on board with it. They're absolutely cool with it. I think some of them are horrified. I think, but they're cowards. The absolute cow. We are facing a fascist leader in this country, 
and the people who always wave the flag, the most jingoistic, flag-waving, God bless Americans that you could ever find in the world, don't do it because it gives them this this uh, this this uh, jacket of white supremacy, including the black and conservative Republicans that are riding right along with them. Yeah, 12 out there talking. Yeah, Bob's joining us. He's in Buffalo, uh, cold, snowy Buffalo on line two. Good morning, Bob. Yeah, good day, gentlemen. Uh, it's, it's, it's about wordplay uh, in terms of Nikki Haley. Um, she never said that uh, there wasn't racism in the country. She said there was, this wasn't a racist nation. Uh, and people get that kind of thing confused, like when people say that this country is a democracy. If this country was a democracy, everybody would be automatically able to vote, but you have to qualify to be able to vote. Uh, like um, uh, Leroy Jones, Baraka said, the democracy in America win. Where? When was this ever a democracy? You know, or like George Clinton. That's an point. Hold, hold that thought right there, Bob. We've got to take a short break. I'll let you finish your question and your comments so Brandon can respond. Family, you want to join this conversation, reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes at 14 after the top of the hour right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL or information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, political blogger, Brandon. Before we left, we're speaking with Bob in Buffalo, New York. So, Bob, I'll let you finish your, your question or your comment for Brandon. Yes, sir. Uh, the, the, this is not just for him. It's for everybody. They're gaming on you, like George Clinton said. They're gaming on you. You know, they have you looking at the puppet and believing that it, without looking at the puppet master. When um, Trump can go and meet with Putin and nobody's there to take notes and see what's, what's really being said, nobody is behind and, and promotes the disunity of America like the Russian people. It, they're gaming on you. People have to, have to read, listen, and comprehend. It's not just hearing the words, hearing what the words mean behind it. They don't say that racism isn't here. They say this isn't a racist nation. They say that Israel is a democracy when Palestinians don't have the same rights as the European Jews. They say that Israel, the European Jews, is Israel, and equate that with biblical Israel, but that's not biblical Israel. It's modern-day Israel. It's European Jews masking as the original Jews. But I'm going to listen. You Great program, okay. as always. Yeah, uh, thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. All right, thanks, Bob. Brandon, you, you want to respond to anything that Bob said? Mm, uh, here's, what he, here's what she said. She was on Fox and Friends, and at nine seconds in the clip that went around, she says, we are not a racist country. Um, we've never been a racist country. That's what she says at nine seconds. At 21 seconds, she says, I know I face racism. So not only the contradictory, but she sets the land. She lends the landmark to say, you know, to say what she said. Um, of course, this this country was built on racism. It was built on the idea of something that was started in the UK, um, which is the idea of white supremacy. Um, white supremacy started there and spread throughout the West. They didn't have that in ancient um, anywhere. Like he said, he was talking about um, Palestine and what would become Israel. 
Um, and I'm bringing up the UK because UK is a parliamentarian democracy. We're a form of democracy, but we're a republic. And we're a republic that. And explain the difference to the audience, uh, Brandon. Well, I mean, it's representative government, okay? And not everybody in the government was represented. It was immediately, it was, it was started that way. But I, you know, it's, it's, it's profound to me. I'm not talking about this one caller, but I think he said some things were right. But, you know, we need to think in terms of, of really practical thinking. Get away from the ideal. Get away from what everything sparkly is supposed to. This was started as a, as a colony, as a colony for um, Britain, which at that time had risen and held for 400 years, maybe 500 years. The seas is the most powerful nation in the world, right? I think there's only some like – I want to say it's only like 22 nations that haven't been invaded by Britain, okay? Um, Jamaica and was, was one of the richest slave-dropping-off ports in the world for Britain. The United States was one of its richest destinations until the people here decided to breed their own, which didn't take that long. So it was a business venture to begin with. The people, even though that they were, you know, the, the grandchildren, the great grandchildren of the original colonists that started here, they were thinking in business terms. The Constitution is written up like a, uh, a business contract, and that was quick, quickly. It was so perfect that it was quickly uh, uh, amended ten times, right? Immediately with the Bill of Rights. What I'm trying to say is, is that the representative government is, is was based on how to handle this business and its resources. So at the very beginning, only rich landowners, white male landowners could vote. And it took hundreds of years to change that. And so when you have a representative government that doesn't represent everybody that's here, then you're looking at you know, what's happening in the lexicon, the everyday language, the everyday uh, movement, how things, the commerce are bought and sold, all that stuff, how the other people, the other humans are treated and what they're treated as, property, uh, lesser um, companions um, or people who don't have a say or rich people who control almost everything. I don't think a lot of people know, Carl, that for um, a great deal of this – up until – I want to say up until the uh, 20s. I think I might be off by a decade um, that senators were actually chosen across the states. Only in a couple of states were they actually elected. It only it only became a full election, and so the understanding of representative government in the United States has always been in flux. But that's what a republic is. A republic is when you vote for representatives to send them to, um, they send them to uh, a place. In this case, it's it's D.C., a place of the, the government to represent you and your environment and your region. You know, that's what a republic is. A parliamentary system is a little different. They they have representative uh, elections there, but they're also dealing with the House of Lords, and they also deal with the with the uh, the sovereignty of their leaders. So, you will hear um, UK people. They're called subjects, while we're called citizens. And that's one yeah. of the biggest things you can tell who you're talking about. Right, and they have a monarchy. They have a king and a queen. And this is what Donald yes. Trump is attempting to institute in this country. He wants to become king <laughs> in this yeah, country. Yeah. But, 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 and, and we're just saying, and you're laughing, but I don't think people understand that, though, Brandon. I don't think people get it, what he's trying to do, what he's did saying. He, and he's, he, he's he telling us what he's going to do. You know, it's not Absolutely. like he's, he's yeah, hiding it. Yeah. 
I was laughing at the monarchy part because, yeah, they're they're trying to take the monarchy away, especially now that that black woman has been introduced to black blood has been introduced, reintroduced, as many historians would tell you, into the monarchy right. of England. But, um, um, they, you know, they look, they've had their own struggles. I, I just want to point this out. You know, the Irish and the Scottish have always been uh, people who felt that they stood on their own. Uh, without this this kingdom that they've had to deal with, and, they, and they've you know they've had to deal with that in certain levels for for hundreds of years, hundreds of years. As a matter of fact, um, a good chunk of Jamaica uh, was Irish. Uh, they were brought in you know to do something. Now they weren't treated like the the black slaves were treated, but they were brought in as in, in indentured servitude, where they can work their way out of it. And and um, I mean even when we talk about you talk you and I talk about how those things kind of connect with humans being humans around the world. So what is Trump trying to do? Trump is trying to introduce or reintroduce the idea of white supremacy in the office. He is, he is a direct response, and I think historians are going to look at this time because of the short time that right after. He is a direct response to President Barack Obama being elected and being excellent in the sense that he was not – he. He didn't represent any of the tropes or the fantasies or the lies told about black people this entire time in this nation. And he was he – was, they can say he was biracial or whatever, but by their laws, that one drop rule came in. He is a black man, married a very black woman you know, who, who um, in her own right was a force of nature, right? And she could walk out uh, with the flippy-doo looking like a motto. Another day she'd be out there with her kitchen. Uh, you know, out there in the yard working with some young kids about, you know, talking about health and, and growth, uh, a very active couple with young kids that came in there and brought new life. Well, immediately what the Republicans did is they jumped on this thing and they said they were going to use that as a as a beating stick to to fear and to to spread fear and rage amongst um, those who are pining for the 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 days when white supremacists had full agency over black people they want to go back to times when you know black folks when they see somebody you kept your head down or you crossed the street when you saw them on the same sidewalk and you know uh, let me jump in here and mention this because he's also attacked so-called immigrants he married mm -hmm. two immigrants <laughs> the second one Absolutely. was here illegally and, and his child, I don't think he was married, so people can check this out if uh, Trump was married to his wife when his son was born. Because uh, he makes that, uh, what do they mm -hmm. call them, uh, uh, anchor babies. Uh, he, you know, he makes mm -hmm. that, that, that uh, claim about anchor babies. And he attacks immigrants. Then he says they're poisoning our blood. Obviously, his mm -hmm. wife, his two wives didn't poison the American blood. So, do you think people read between the lines and figure out what he's trying to say? Of course. This, I mean, you know, it's not it's this is not new. This is not new. Um, Rachel Maddow does a she does a hell of a, a piece of work she did on, on her, one of her podcasts. She talked about the how there were um, white Americans who um, were sympathetic to the idea of Nazism in the United States. There was a Nazi full on Nazi party. And I say I don't know if you've ever seen it, but there's a there's a heck of a, a piece of video. It's from a film. They were holding a rally in, in New York. I want to say Madison Square Garden, the, the American Nazi Party. And there's one Jewish man who gets up and protests, and they take him out, and he's handled and beaten, and he's, his pants fall down. And he's, but, but it's one guy, 
that stood up, you know, against that situation. So this isn't new. This is not. This is absolutely not new. What he's doing though is that he's popularized it. Look, not Carl. Not a couple weeks ago, about 150 men met in Italy, and they met to to pay homage to what they consider some martyr some martyrs who were killed 40 some years ago, who were fascists. Now this is the this is the country where modern day fascism was reborn. You understand through. Catholicism and a, and a mix of, of proto-socialism and these whole things and under the guise of Mussolini, who Trump um, has been called stupid Mussolini. But this is – they come together, and they give the fascist salute in, in 2024. And their prime minister, who is hardline, who has been often you know connected with fascist groups and fascism from her lineage, said it was no basically no big deal. So there are countries that are turning this way. And remember, there was a there was one in their um in their house of government, I believe there was one black woman, and she would receive horrible, you know, uh uh insults from the other governing people. In the there was one and they had they've had an influx, of course, of Africans coming across on the Mediterranean. Um, landing in in parts of Italy, trying to look for a better way. Now, why would Africans try to leave a continent that had so much? Is because the the Europeans that were there, a la even the, the King of Belgium, right from way back when, are still draining the country of its resources and putting in regimes that are grinding their people down to dust. And so some of these people said, hey, "Look, we're out of here." And they they go anywhere. What would make you so desperate to get on this uh, a ship that's sinking when you get on the thing to try to make it to these lands? And so their backlash to that is to turn the clock back to a time when they had just a superior ideal. It is precisely the same thing that's happening here, and Trump is is using all these shorts. Now, mind you, it has backfired several times, and let's get to talking about them brown people coming over, um, the immigrants. They're workers. And uh, uh, the entire agriculture um, um, sector of our of our economy suffers every time Republicans uh, start talking about um, punishing the itinerant workers that are here or the ones that are coming here because they're not going to do the work. They're not lining up to pick grapes or avocados. They're not doing it. Republicans aren't lining up for those jobs. They're not. Right. But they own the companies that do that, though. That's the that's the dichotomy yeah. there. Yeah, yeah but, exactly. But if we come up on a break and Kareem in Baltimore, I got a question for you. But before we do that, before we go to the break, uh, I just posted this. Well, I posted a couple of days ago that far right figures are trying to create a, what they term a Christian nationalist haven in Kentucky. They've they've carved out a part of Kentucky. And this is where the Magna Group is supposedly going to move to and live to because they, they, they don't they don't cotton to the pardon the expression. They don't cotton to, to the ideals that the rest of the country thinks about. So they're building out there in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. As I mentioned, we got to take the break. When we come back. Kareem's got a question or comment for you. Family, you want to join this conversation with Brandon? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM. 1450 WOL where information is power.
And good morning again, family. Two minutes away from the top of the hour with political blogger Brandon. Before we go uh, back to Brandon, and also Kareem has a question for him out of Baltimore. I uh, just want to thank everybody who showed up for Baba Lumumba's birthday party uh, that took place at the Thurgood Marshall Center in Washington, D.C. Thank you for showing up and supporting uh, Baba Lumumba. He works out of Emoja House in the district. Also, later this morning, we're going to hear from the founder of the Black Lawyers for Justice. Malik Shabazz will be in our classroom. He's going to examine some of the legal issues involved in the 2024 presidential election. She'll also provide us with a reparations update. And later this week, you're going to hear from Afrocentric educator Dr. Kemet Shockley, holistic doctor Stephen Tate, Dr. Stephen Tate, and also University of Houston's Dr. Gerald Horn. All going to be here. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. As I mentioned, on line two, Kareem's waiting for us out in Baltimore. Kareem, you're on with Brandon. Hey, peace. How y'all doing? Um, I think that the word that they need to describe him as is being, and most of the society as being, is xenophobic. I mean, if if that that were blanket so much of this society in itself, the fact that we... We we all consider ourselves American, but yet we're African American, we're Latin American, we're this, we're all American. Humanity is what we gave the world. So I think that the understanding of humanity and what that means shouldn't should just come along with that. But I, I also have a question in terms of the Jewish state. There was a there was a letter that was written to Britain in the in nineteen after World War One, I, I think, or World War Two that established that Jewish state. I'm wondering why they don't use that as a, that historical document as a foundation for statement of who has who has reciprocity to that to that area, who has possession to that area. All right. All right. Thank, thanks, Curry. Uh, Brandon, you want to tackle that? Um, you mean the the xenophobia? Or the, well, first, yeah. First of all, yeah, um, we're not xenophobic. Um, we we love foreigners. We just don't want them to stay. Or I should say, the white supremacy loves foreigners. They love the work that foreigners. Do. And let me tell you, there was a there was an, an act. It first rounded um, California, the uh, the uh, uh, government of California. So uh, Chinese were used. Um, all up and down California to help build the railroad system in California. And what they would do is they would uh, there would be a season where they would be here. Some of them would set up and, and set settlements. Others would uh, uh, work for a season and take their money home. And sometimes they'd return with their wives or their kids, you know, and they would continue to do that until they were able to bring everybody over here. And then one summer, once they completed the uh, – the trains, they, initi- they initiated an act, the government initiated an act that locked them out of coming back to the country. And, you know, uh, most uh, – what I would – most conservatives would be happy if the people came across the border, worked for pennies on the dollar, and then left. Their problem is that they stay, and, and they want that other part of the bargain which is a shot at a better life for their labor. And, and the same thing that they claim, you know, the same thing that these, uh, these conservatives claim that their grandfathers did, like Trump, 
claimed that their people came over here and did this, you know, they, they hoiled and worked their ways up, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps. They don't want to offer that to anybody else. You know, that's their, that's it. So they're not xenophobic, you know, as, as for the Israeli papers, you know, you can keep going back and back and back. I mean, they've, the, there was always a legend of whether or not the house of David existed. And they actually found an artifact that actually says that on it. Um, the modern, this modern iteration that we're looking at now, a modern version of Israel, really comes from after the caliphate, the Muslim caliphate, which had actually, you know, um, pretty much uh, had fallen um, in many ways. And then they aligned themselves with Germany in World War One. Of course, Germany lost. Um, Britain became they became the administrators of that land. And through Britain and then later on the United States, um, the modern era of Israel began. And I say that in the sense that, you know, because there were there were some wars, there was some, you know, they were surrounded by people that didn't want them there. They also were bringing in European Jews who had been, you know, they had been the, their diaspora for hundreds of years, I think almost a millennia, in many parts of the world. And people were saying, well, why why should they? You know, get this right of return, especially when you had populations of people already there who were um, Muslim, um, um, Jewish, and Christian. So I, you know, and then it be, it's begun this thing where we're at this situation where we are now, where people keep going. They say, well, what about what happened on this day? What happened on this day? What happened on this day? And it's really, you know, aggression. And if I may say, and I said this before on the show, that if you want good people to do evil things. Give them religion. Evil people are evil people. Good people are good people. But if you want good people to do evil things, give them religion. And some of the stuff we're seeing now, um, and I don't want to hijack the conversation on it because we can get very deep and you know spend hours on it. But um, I think the rest of the world has come to the conclusion that that Israel has gone too far, especially with what um, Netanyahu supposedly has said. Uh, apparently. There are signs of him saying that they, they don't see a two-state um, solution. Right. And, and, I was, and I'm glad you went there because I was going to ask you about that. Your thoughts on that. Mm-hmm. That I think that's a match that he just lit in the, in the so-called Middle East. They're saying that there's no reason for a two-state. He's basically saying we're going to wipe out all the Palestinians in Gaza. What do you do? What do you do with millions of people now? You say something where millions of people have been crushed into an area that was already you know, overpopulated. What are you, what are you saying? And the transformation um, to, you know, kind of this, this state, you know, this is the government. Um, there are, you know, a great chunk of Israelis who don't think that way. It's going to be up to them to change the world. Um, when they, especially the younger ones that come of age, but it's up to us right now whether or not what what the rest of the world is going to do about it. I'm not a, you know, I, when I came on here, you know, I said, I told you no country would have put up, no country would have put up with what Hamas did on that day. No, not one. I don't care what they say. I don't care who goes in front of what panel saying that they should, no country would have put up with what Hamas did that day. However, um, what's happening now is I think that if you were you, you couldn't say if you were trying to set up propaganda, Carl, in this situation to show that there's this is how a certain people acts or this, that and the other, it, it couldn't be done better. 
they, I think in that in that respect, they they the world has looked at them and said, you know, you have gone into some zones that, you know, are only the, you have these simple solutions, and the simplest solutions have the highest body count. Yeah, so but you know, there's there's uh, also let me jump in here and tell this. It's uh, Brandon. There's also mm-hmm. a, a school of thought that that was all, all a false flag. That was uh, Netanyahu just uh, as she's doing, continuing the war to stay in office, mm-hmm. uh, much like much like Trump is do, what Trump is doing. You know, to stay in office. Uh, they say this will probably come out years down the line. That you know that you know they're blaming on Hamas. But as we talked about before, there's oil there, and that's why we haven't seen mm-hmm. so much of the Egypt jumping in because of there's oil. There's supposedly oil right between that strip between the, in the Gaza Strip and Egypt. That's why Egypt was being sort of sort of quiet about all this. You haven't heard, and it, it hasn't yet inflamed the rest of the region, so they haven't jumped in yet because this is what they're they're afraid of that this will uh, you know probably start World War Three. I want to get your thoughts on all of that. Well, if you have, um, first of all, you have experts that come on this show all the time, so they're they're the ones to probably turn to. My my opinion, though, is um, that's why I'm saying that it's up. It's not going to be some you know graybeard father in the sky or any angels that are come going to come down and save that situation. Um, I find it, you know, the the sheer devastation alone that they've done has been kind of a ground clearing. And the only way you get to that point where you can continue doing that after a certain level is that you you are um, um, subscribing to an ideal of dehumanization. Because whatever we want to call it, if it's a false, false flag or whatever, the actions that were made have ended up in people being killed, babies being buried under buildings and just dying um, because they have they haven't been found anymore. Families being shot. We have you have um, journalists whose you know families have just been wiped out. You know over over a certain amount of time, not just in one day where you can just deal with the shock, but having continuously deal with you know these things are going on. And I'm saying this to say that you know when people talk about war and going to war and things of war, war itself, in my opinion, is an atrocity. You understand that you're you're visiting upon an enemy a level of destruction that may get them to sue for peace. And in this particular situation, that's, that doesn't even look like an option. You know, it doesn't, and I'm not, trust me, I'm not saying that Hamas isn't, is, is, is not guilty of constant attacks and creating martyrs, especially in the early days of blowing up innocent people on buses and whatnot. But at the same time, um, what are you going to do now with these, t- with the the fact of these two million people that you just told that there's not going to be a buffer zone, um, there's not going to be a two state, they're not going home. There's a, you know, I I was listening to a radio program the other day, and this is just a quick blurb. And one of the they were talking to a Palestinian curator of a museum that they have out there, and one of the exhibits has keys because these people. There was a time when some of the Palestinians were told that, that they just needed to leave the area until the the, the um, Israeli Defense Force, IDF, could um, secure it. Once it's secure it, create a buffer zone, they'll return, they can come back to their homes. Well, they never came back to their homes, but they got the, the keys to their doors. And so this was a display. that says, here's the keys the, mm. to the homes that were never returned to us. Yeah, very powerful thing. And right. – they, they, Netanyahu has created 
at least two generations that will never forgive him for this. And I, you know, and, it, and you notice I said two generations, not just generations of Palestinians, but Israelis as well. And and I don't know if that means anything, but he has done that. All right, hold that thought right there, Brandon. Nine minutes away from the top of the hour. Bomani is joining us from Detroit online too. Good morning, Bomani. Is Bomani there online too, Kevin? Yeah. Hello? Hello? Yo, there you Hello? go. Go ahead. We can hear you now. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, I just want to know if he had any solutions either for black folks to survive in this situation or or for America. I guess democracy to survive. I mean, more. I'm really more concerned about black folks. But uh, if you could answer both of those questions, it'd be good. All right. Thanks, Romani. Mm-hmm. Brandon. Solutions. Um, no, I'm not going to um, even dare to even think that I have a sophistication on that level to to deal with those type of situations. What I can tell. What I can say though, is, look, what I say is. You need to understand. I know this sounds elementary, but you need to understand who picks up your trash and where it goes. Because when society breaks down, as we've seen, and we've actually all of us have lived through an extraordinary experiment in our civilization, which is COVID. When things stop, what happens? And if you know where your trash goes and how it's picked up, you know an essential part of government. You can go any deeper and understand how your sewers work. You know, how the water is reclaimed and what happens. And trust me, if you've ever been in countries where these things don't work and they don't function, you know it immediately. And I'm, I'm saying this to say that all politics is local. That is true. But all politics, are, are, our government has to be functional. And in order for it to work, you have to participate in that. And the very base level of participating is voting. And I know there's a lot of people out there that say voting doesn't do nothing, voting, but if you think about it, if you really think about it, calling on the local level up to the top, it does because when you don't vote, the people who win are the ones that end up changing the world. And we've seen that. I came on this show talking until I was hoarse, trying to say a vote for Trump or not showing up is a vote for Trump. And the things that are here's the things, here's a list. I had a small list of the things that were... I, I tell you what, hold that list right there. We've got to take a quick break, Brandon. Six away from the top there. I'll right. let you go down that list when we get back. In four minutes, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning once again, family. Minute after the top of the hour, political vlogger Brandon. And before we left for the last break, Brandon, you said you you had a list, and you're going down the list. Can you can you start over the list for us again? I hope you you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was saying I was saying here's here's what was at risk in uh, in 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 2016: um, voter rights, women's rights, uh, educational programs. Right. Um, I didn't necessarily say affirmative action, but I was leading to the actual program to give us access to better education, higher education, and, and for lack of a better term, uh, the type of educa- education that gives you certification um, for a, a, a better job or a prominent job. Um, business programs, the same thing, same deals. It allow you to have access to money and loans and 
and grants that you can get to get yourselves up off the ground um, and, and move into move your business to another level or move. So those things were available. I'm not saying for everybody. I'm not saying it was easy. I'm not saying it was perfect. All right. And also Obamacare, which was uh, the start of us being able to uh, make sure uh, or in, ensuring that our health was at, at, at the base level taken care of. So we weren't starting, you know, uh, three feet and a lap back. From anybody and everybody else because we have to deal with these health issues and so on and so forth, right? All of those things have been twisted, challenged, and if not destroyed, at the very least uh, demoted into a small part, except for Obamacare because enough white Republicans get it where they actually – when they tried to dismantle it, they actually showed up. When the Republicans tried to dismantle it, their constituency showed up to keep it in as long as it wasn't called Obamacare, as long as it was called something else. Okay. I mean, yeah. Did you find that ironic, though, that they're opposed to Ob- Obamacare because they're opposed to the name, but it, but they agree with everything that he does for them. They like what he does for them, but they just don't want to be called Obamacare. No, I didn't find it ironic. I mean, racism is stupid. And so and if that's how you, you know, that's that's what you lead your life with, then you're going to be, you know, stuck in the murkiness of perpetual stupidity. Of course. It, it, I mean, look. The idea or the concept that President Obama was just this demon when there were so many brothers on the other side, and I'm pretty sure, you know, you know, they came on the show and they cursed you and I out at, at, at infinitum. Some of these people on the side were saying he wasn't strong enough. He wasn't he wasn't black enough. He wasn't going strong enough at that system. And I think in some ways they were correct. But to say that, you know, um, that that these people, as long as it wasn't named something else, these are the same people that wanted to keep up, you know, um, statues of traitors from the Confederacy. These are people that these are the same block of people whose grandparents, great grandparents, wanted Social Security but didn't want us to have it. Wanted the GI Bill but didn't want us to have it. Wanted Medicare but didn't want us to have it. You dig what I'm saying? Just because of the melanin count in our skin. Of course, I'm not surprised that people that that connect to such stupidity would say as long as it wasn't called Obamacare. Obama himself, President Obama said, I don't care what you call it as long as the people get it. He's smart because if you don't have a healthy population of people, you, you can't grow. You don't have any growth. And, and that is so true. At four after the top there, Brandon, we're going to let you go. Attorney Malik Shabazz is on deck. He's got some folks with him as well, so we're going to get to him momentarily. But how can uh, folks, if what are you working on? Oh, I'm go. telling you what. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're going through some of the uh, election gear that's going to be happening. We have a primary uh, coming up um, and actually looking forward. I'm, I'm doing some more podcasts. I'm going to let you know who I'm with. It's going to be kind of a secret because we're still uh, bringing up and also have my live stream, Nidus. Uh, that I'm still doing. I want you to ask that lawyer one question for me because I know um, you, you got to go. But ask them mm-hmm. about the the SCOTUS, um, the the vibes they were sending on this regulation laws that they were because they're pat- they look like they're going to go against. I tell you what, hold idea. on a second. He, he's with us right right now, Brandon. He, he's on line five. Attorney Malik Shabazz. Good morning, sir. Good morning. Good morning. Right. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Brandon has a question for you. Brandon, go ahead. So so the case has come up in front of the SCOTUS, and it seems as if uh, they're leaning. Ellie Mastal, 
uh, came back and said that it looks like they're leaning to take away regulation power from the federal government, from being able to, to get the experts and put in to be able to uh, outline and administer regulations, okay, actual regulations on stuff that they're taking, it, and it looks like they're leaning towards taking that away. What do you think about that? Okay, you know, I need to get more information on that, actually. I, um, mm-hmm. I'd love to help you on that, but I just don't spout opinions without getting my facts right. Uh, and I do okay. want to help okay. you. Brother Carl has my cell phone. I'd love for you to text me because I love your uh, your activism and enthusiasm. If you could text me, me and you could work through that that question uh, today, okay? Okay, yeah, yeah. I'll just I'll just send it to Carl, and then you know you can yeah. just send it back to him, and you know we'll get it. I appreciate it, brother. Yeah, text right. it to me. Let me see what I can do with you, sir. All right. Thanks, Brandon. Folks, you you want to get in touch with Brandon, just reach out to me at carlnelson at radio1.com. I'll get you all Brandon's information. Some people call, want to contact Brandon, just reach out to me because he's he's got his hands in a lot of different pies. Six after the top. Yeah, Attorney Malik Zula-Shabazz, good morning again and welcome back to the program. Uh, Good morning, Brother Carl Nelson, and thank you for inviting me off. I see you've got some friends with you. Can you introduce them to, to the family? Okay, I have friends. Good morning, sisters and brothers who are listening. Uh, much of this discussion this morning will be on the subject of of reparations for our people and how it fits into and how reparations ties into the 2024 election and and other issues that you know me for on the station, such as police brutality. Okay, this morning I have on here, I, I have on the president of the Afro-descendant nation, uh, which is founded and spearheaded by the Honorable Silas Muhammad. I believe I have all missing uh, a president, Akila Mukaram. And I also believe I have either uh, brother Cam Howard from Reparations United. He's working on federal election commission uh, and former chairman of Cobra. I think I even have Cam Howard or or Ramzu Yunus, the head of the human rights policy officers, or maybe both. All right, Ramzu is with us, and also Doctor Akila is with us as well, Attorney Malik. So, okay. Uh, so, so, explain to us what reparations is seven after the top. What does reparations have to do with with this coming election? Well, it has to do with what election we should really be. Uh, uh, counting on, it has to do with the fact that there is another election outside of the presidential election. There's a a national election and a national vote or plebiscite that is being conducted about amongst our people about whether or not we want reparations, how reparations, and how we will establish self determination. And and so uh, reparations is key. It's it's it's, it's polling very high, polls very high in the black community amongst all religious sectors, class sectors. And we're here to give a strong update about the, the future of reparations and the, and the real choices we have. All right. Eight after the top of the hour. Let me go to Dr. Akila. Dr. Akila, your thoughts on reparations? Dr. Akila's on line two. Hope he doesn't have his phone on mute. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, ma'am. Go ahead. Okay. 
thank you. Thank you for having us on this morning. Uh, greetings to everyone. Uh, it's early morning. Well, uh, as the conductor said, um, reparations is important uh, to us. We are descendants of slaves who this country has been built off of our ancestors' blood, their sweat, their tears, free labor. They totally destroyed us as a people. So now we are coming together as a people, as an Afro-descendant people, and we are demanding reparations as the Jewish people demanded reparations from from their Holocaust. So we have had, in comparison to the Jewish Holocaust, we have had a mega Holocaust. And each of those were wrong. But we have been stripped of our language, our culture, and our religion. The Jewish people did not lose their language. We have we lost our language and we were separated from our families. So reparations are due to us. We are worthy of reparations. Right. Thank you. And, and let me just jump in and say, I don't think anybody will, will uh, go up against that. We're everybody is in the black community. We know we're due reparations. The fact is, uh, how are we going to achieve reparations? Ramzu, let me bring you in uh, for for a second here. As far as reparations is concerned, what's, what type of reparations are we talking about? Have, have you guys fleshed that out yet? Can you hear me? Sure. Okay, well... So reparations, as a, as a term, a lawful term in international law, is a little bit more than them just giving us a payment. It's, it's like repair, reparation, repairing is putting us back in the state that we were in before the damage. We were in a state of power. We did have our own land, and we had our own control, and we had our own money, so we didn't have to rely on our oppressor and conqueror and enslavers monetary system. But you asked earlier what— so reparations to me and reparation in law period is to repair us, put us back in our condition of having our own power, our own land, our own government, and then we can give out. And compensation is part of it as well. But if we had enough power, then we didn't have to worry about their compensation. We could compensate ourselves. And reparations, what it has to do with the upcoming elections, as Comrade Attorney Malik Zulu-Shabai said, it has everything to do with this year, election year, because there's another election. So, And that's the black power election, the election for us to assert our right of self-determination and take control and ownership of our communities where we live. So then we will have all the access to all the resources and assets because now we control that and we can leverage them and give ourselves a check if that's what we think reparations is. So instead of giving all our power, organizing everybody, rallying everybody to give our power to a, a system of power that has been oppressing us with their power, we can organize ourselves and participate in this other election and give ourselves the power, then we can repair ourselves. That's the guaranteed way to reparations is to simply assert our right of self-determination, 
hold our vote, which we are holding, if everybody participates in it, then we can take, we can own everywhere we live. Black people can actually own it and control it politically and control the assets thereof. So it'll be reparations will be guaranteed. So this upcoming election for us for their president, it's the same old, same old. So that's not that important. But the real election that we're hosting for independence of black people in America, that's the election that will guarantee reparations. All right. Now we got to take a short break. When we come back, Attorney Malik, I'll let you expound on that. that this other election that you're talking about, I'm not sure if many of our listeners understand what you're saying. And we got some people already want to talk to you. 14 minutes after the top there. You want to join this conversation, family? Reach out to us at 800-450-7876. We'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. And also in the DMV or on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL or information is power. And good morning once again, family. 20 minutes after the top of the hour with the founder of the Black Lawyers for Justice, Attorney Malik Shabazz. Sports and friends with him are discussing reparations, Dr. Akila, also Brother Ramzu. Before we left for the break, though, Attorney Shabazz, you were telling us about there's two elections, the one we know of, the concerning reparations, one we know of in November, of course, but what's the other election that concerning reparations? Is Attorney Malik there? Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you now. Go ahead. Okay, yeah, so uh, we do have choices. Now, I want to point out the irony in the, in the current choice. I mean, now you have a... Uh, you have one leading candidate who just smashed the Iowa caucus. Yeah. Your phone's going south on us, uh, Counselor. Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah that's much better. Okay. We have a, a, a irony in choices right now. We have a, uh, a, a, a multiple indicted, indicted on multiple felonies, Donald Trump, who has just smashed all of his competition in the Iowa caucuses, and he's polling ahead of Joe Biden. That's one choice in black Americans. And then you have Joe Biden here, whose approval ratings are absolutely sinking every second, and and he's complicit now in the outright bombing and genocide in Gaza. So to most people, that's a terrible set of choices that we're faced with. And then also, we have... uh, what is building to be up to 200 organizations, the 200 black organizations that are for reparations that are conducting their own vote this year. It's going to be launched starting at the beginning of Black History Month. It's it's really going to get going. And that's the national vote on reparations and the national registration on reparations. And so the, the organizations that you hear on the line and others that will be coming on, we're talking about the Afro-descendant nation, of which I'm an attorney and conductor with. We're talking about INCOBRA, uh, uh, human rights policy officers. We're talking about Black Lives Matter, uh, uh, a host of organizations. We're having our own vote. The number, because I'm going to give it out often during the show, the number is one 800 Pardon me. The number is one. Sorry, it's one eight seven seven five zero six two one eight four. One eight seven seven five zero six two one eight four. 
And if you text reparations right to that number, reparations, R-E-P-A-R-A-T-I-O-N-S, like repair, reparations, you will get the ballot right to your phone. And if you're a black person in America, a descendant of slaves, or you are an indigenous, text that number, 877-506-2184. You'll get your ballot right now. And we are saying, as black people who have your best interest at heart on this line, Malik Shabazz and, and, and representatives from the black Muslims and reparations freedom fighters, that we do have a choice, and you'll get a ballot on your phone, and it's going to ask you seven to eight questions. It's going to ask you uh, 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 seven ballot choices about do you want reparations and do you want self-determination and other critical questions that will that will not only help us to win this ballot, which is going to the international courts, it's going to multinational corporations, it's also going to get you registered with with the key reparations organizations so that you will be updated on the reparations movement and that you'll be in line to get your reparations. So that's the ballot. And, we, and we're going to talk about why this ballot is so important and so forth. But we have to organize, and, and you are right, Carl Nelson, we have to move beyond just claiming our damages. We're saying that the reparations movement this year in 2024 is having a mass election, a plebiscite, a vote that is going to help us to mobilize one million black people, one million what they call lawfully Afro-descendants in this country to achieve our full and complete reparations. That's the vote we're talking about also, because these choices we have, as Khalid Muhammad said, Khalid Muhammad taught us, he said, these choices in the election are like choices between the devil, Lucifer, Satan, or Beelzebub. Whichever vote we cast, there's a high probability we will end up in hell. He also has taught us Democratic Party or Republican Party. Sorry to say this, but most of us aren't even invited to the party. And and then that's our position this morning. All right, 25 on the top there. I've got some folks who want to speak with you. Let's go to line one. Tyrone's calling from Baltimore. Good morning, Tyrone. You're on with the panel. Tyrone there on line one? I'm not hearing Tyrone. Let's, okay. Uh, uh, Kevin's checking to make sure Tyrone's here. I want to hang up on folks before we move on. All right, is he there, Kevin? All right, let's move on then. Let's go to line four. Brother Uhuru's calling from D.C., Morning, brother Yuhu. Yes, good morning, brother Carl. Free the land, free the land, free the land. I'm just so happy to hear from the panel, and definitely I'm happy to hear from brother Malik Zulu Shabazz. And I just wanted to echo three thoughts and one question. The one question is in reference to what you are alluding to about the Democrats and Republicans. So. This is a definitely good opportunity for us to vote. I mean, we definitely don't want to vote for the devil because uh, we got the Santos endorsing the devil. So I'm just really crystal clear about knowing what we have to do as a people. And I understand about reparations, and I thank God for this other election 
which will give us an opportunity to know about Unity Nation and about just working together. So when I was on the Carl Nelson show, I think last week, I was paraphrasing a key testament, Brother Malik, in the panel, and that is what can we do to have the Kush district, such as the provisional government of the Republic of New Africa. We have five states, South Carolina, Mississippi, Alabama, Louisiana. I mean, what can we do to have our own district? Because you're absolutely right. We need to work together. That's one of our our biggest problems. Um, Someone at my church was ambushed last week. 57 bullets, and this black-on-black crime has got to stop. So thank you for letting me uh, put those points out there. And free the land, free the land, free the land. All right. Thanks, brother. All right. Attorney Malik. Briefly here, can can you hear me? Sure. Okay, yes. Uh, that's Brother Harold Hunter, Pastor Harold Hunter, who's working with us here in Washington, D.C., to help us to co-host the uh, National Reparations Convention. Yeah, weekend, the yeah your phone's going in and out on us. If you can get closer to the phone, we appreciate it. I'm back here. I'm sorry. The 17th, can you hear me now? Sure. Go ahead. I'm sorry, the 17th through the 19th of May, Malcolm X's uh, Earth Day weekend, the National Reparations Convention, it's coming to Washington, D.C. I think what Brother Harold, he asked a question about uh, uh, what the the Honorable Dr. Imari Obadeli and and we know from around the world revolutionary movements call a provisional government. It means a leader. It means to have a leadership panel of black organizations and black leaders working together on our behalf. Uh, that's what is partially on this phone this morning, part of a, a, a provisional government for black people that is spreading now throughout America. Uh, it includes the Afro-descendant nation, as I say, it's sponsored by that longtime pioneer and elder, the Honorable Silas Muhammad. Uh, uh, it has included, even at our conventions, uh, certainly members of the Nation of Islam under uh, the illustrious, honorable Minister Louis Farrakhan. Uh, uh, there, there is hope for black people, what we're saying. There's a, uh, in COBRA and Black Lives Matter and black organizations are working together. Now, what we're doing. Can I chime in? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, wait, wait. Go right ahead. Now finish up, Comrade Malik. Okay, what we're doing, and I let my uh, my panel here comment is that is is that uh, we're taking action. I want to encourage everybody to be politically active. I'm not saying do not vote in this election. There is a a presidential election that has uh, very uh, contradictory choices. However, if you live in the cities of America, black people we know are concerned about gentrification. They are they are highly concerned about uh, police brutality. They're concerned about violence. They're concerned about health issues. And in many areas in uh, in the cities and the districts where we live, we must be politically active, either by uh, engaging local elections or just being politically active in our communities. But what we are saying here is that our national vote that we're talking about here, our national vote, 
is is about black people taking over and taking control, self-determination of our communities, our nations, and also fighting for reparations. So that number, before I turn it over, that number is one eight seven seven five zero six two one eight four. One eight seven seven five zero six two one eight four, and I want you to type in reparations, reparations like repair, R E P A R A T I O N S. Type reparations in, and uh, get your ballot and register with the fastest growing Black United Front and government for ourselves, and that's going on right here, brother Ramsey. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, Frida Lamb, also brother Uhuru, and brother Uhuru and everybody else listening. The answer lies in the mission statement, the creed of the Republic of Africa. The answer lies in the mission statement of the Nation of Islam. And the answer lies in the mission statement of many revolutionary organizations. The, the Republic of New African's creed says that we will hold a vote, that we're holding a vote in those five states. And once the people say yes, they vote for independence, then the Republic, as well as myself, belong to human rights policy officers. We pledge to use that power of the vote to declare our independence and stand on that. We can take total control, political control. Now, other organizations as part of this, they may, may want to use that power and do something else. They want to want to use that power and leverage to continue to participate in this oppressive system. That's what they may want to do. Some may want to use it to appeal to the U.N., but we have a right to use it to the extreme, and the extreme of law says, and who wants to not, who doesn't want to be extreme when you're talking about law? You want to use the law to the extreme ability, and that extreme ability is what the Republic of New Africa pledged and committed to in that creed, and that is once the people say yes in the vote, we can literally take those five states. If they say yes as a majority in those five states or wherever we say yes at. So that's what we as human rights, I'm not speaking for everybody else, other organizations on this in this coalition, but as human rights policy officers, we're going to use the vote if it's a majority, for instance, in Jackson, Mississippi. We're going to go in as officers and declare independence and take control over, and now we control the assets thereof, just as the Republic of New Africa stated, just as what the intent of the founder of the Nation of Islam, Far Muhammad, intended when he declared independence on July the 4th, 1930, in Detroit. So that's what we pledge to do, and that's what we can do with that vote. I'm not saying other organizations pledge to do that, but as human rights policy officers, if we see millions of votes in these cities, we're going to stand up and take control, give us liberty or give us death. That's what our pledge is. All right. Hold that thought right there, Brother Ramsey. We've got to take a short break here, 26 minutes away from the top of the hour. Family got a panel led by Attorney Malik Shabazz, including Ramsey, you just heard, and also Dr. Akila's with us talking about reparations. What are your thoughts about reparations? Reach out to us, 800-450-7876. Those are the magic numbers to get you in, and we'll take your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. W-O-L, where information is power. About in November, of course, that's the presidential and the local elections, but also one that they're taking a vote, and you can reach them at 877-506-2184. That's 877-506-2184, and just... 
type in the word reparations and then you can fill out that form or answer the questions there. We've got some folks who got questions for you, uh, panel, but before we do that, let me just remind folks coming up the next few days, we're going to hear from University of Houston's Dr. Gerald Horn, holistic doctor out of Atlanta, Dr. Stephen Tates, an Afrocentric educator, Dr. Kemet Shockley. He used to teach at Howard, now he's down at, uh, he's, he's down where? The University of Houston as well, uh, the, the Dr. Kemet Shockley is. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, run FM. 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. All right, panel, we've got some folks who want to talk to you. Taboo is calling from Washington, D.C. on line one. Taboo, good morning. You're on with the panel. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, I've heard you mention several things uh, about uh, human rights and international court and the reparations uh, movement. Uh, my question is, uh, is there a particular uh, internet that you are seeking reparations from in this movement or on this ballot because if so i think it's important to help people who might not understand if i am understanding correctly and uh, brother malik you're an attorney you might can help me here am i correct at saying uh human rights are not and international rights are not enforceable uh in the united states or am i wrong there Okay, yeah, and I would like uh, uh, Dr. Mukaram to uh, to to back to assist me in this answer. And I don't know if Brother Cam Howard, the leader of Reparations United, or former uh, chairman of Encobra, is on. But I do want to say that human rights are recognized uh, uh, in the United States. There are many, most all states have a human rights statute and. Uh, the United States, at least on paper, has pledged to uh, respect human rights. Uh, in, in terms of who our vote, in terms of our national reparations vote, our national plebiscite that is occurring right now, it's, a, it's an ongoing vote amongst our people to, uh, d- to declare and to demand reparations and to declare self-determination. Uh, it has a multiple purposes. I want to support what my brother Ramzu said, that our vote for self-determination that we're conducting right now of a, of a minimum of one million black people, or what's called Afro-descendants here, that our vote is uh, it's designed to implement what we call self-determination or what Brother Malcolm X called black nationalism, nation-building and taking control of our our resources, our land, and our lives where we exist right now, including where we are in majority populations. I must echo that that this is a, that this vote itself, this plebiscite that we are conducting, is an is an act of self determination, and it is a vehicle that is organizing uh, up to two hundred black organizations and all of us. For our survival, uh, it, 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 this vote is a vehicle that's, that's a, a great organizing tool in getting us to take power for ourselves right now. But also, well, these, votes are, these votes are leverage. I just want to say this. These votes are leverage. They are a demand backed by the power of our unity and by a lawful vote. Right. Well, that's that my question. My concern is, now, are we speaking of uh, the control that you speak of? Are you speaking of economic control, political control, uh, uh, 
physical control because that is your target. I'm just trying because you know that different reparations moving. You know I've been around for a long time, and I'm trying to get clear where we are talking about now. And I think it will be helpful for the people who are listening. Okay. You know who might not be familiar ballot. with it. I, I, on our I ballot, I want to make some clear. Ballot. Thank you so much. On our ballot, uh, on our ballot, question number one is states that as ask you, do you this do you demand full and complete reparations? Do you man demand full and complete reparations? And question two, uh ask the voter, do they declare self determination and the power to control our own affairs? Okay, and that means economic, political, land and every aspect of the lives we live on. Okay, so when we say full and complete reparations and self-determination, we mean complete power over our own affairs down to uh, uh, the ballot, the questions on this ballot, which is land here in America or Africa and ultimate control over our own affairs. Let me give out the number, then I'll let uh, uh, Afro-descendant nation president Mukaram uh, help. This is one eight seven. I want to chime in on this one. I'm clear to Okay, let me just drop this. Let me drop the vote number. Let's let me drop the vote number. Reparations. One eight seven seven five zero six two one eight four. Text reparations. R e p a r a t i o n s to one eight seven seven five zero six. Two one eight four to vote in a national plebiscite. This is what the world has been waiting on us. And so I want to say before I put my uh, my guests come back is that my my brother, this vote and also will not only is not only organizing ourselves by the millions throughout America, but it is also to be leveraged against the United States government, the Catholic Church, and all of its businesses that have profited from robbing us from all of the uh, uh, companies and banks and corporations that are now under corporate disclosures, under pressure from the reparations movement, they're going to have to answer. And and this vote is organizing us and registering us to answer. Okay. Okay, well, I'm... I try to say human rights are enforceable, brother. Human rights are enforceable. It's just the point of finding people with enough, I don't like to say courage, but I like to say with enough love to put themselves on the line to enforce that. I'm going to quote another lawyer, Henry J. Richardson, who is a professor of law. He says, subordinated people can have a jurisprudence on which they act without a dominating people or group's permission. Even the United States and the U.N. signed a resolution called the Declaration on the Right and Responsibility of Individuals, Groups, and Organs of Society to Promote and Protect Universally Recognized Human Rights and Fundamental Freedoms. We have our own right and responsibility to enforce them. Whether people want to do it or not, that's something else. There's something, when we well, talk here, we're talking about the right of self-determination. Please look that up. It's in the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights that was ratified by the United States in 1992. Number one thing it promoted, it protected, was the right of self-determination, meaning we can enforce that. It's a covenant. Covenant is a contract. Ratified means it became supreme law in the United States. Now, some people may not want to enforce that. Some people may want to use the vote as leverage. But as a human rights policy officer, I must speak up. We're using our vote that's hosted as power to enforce 
Not power to leverage, not power to appeal to the system, to the powers that be. We've been appealing. That makes us no different than anybody else by appealing to them. We talk about other organizations. I'll speak for human rights policy officers as part of this coalition. We're going to enforce it. Other organizations may okay. want to use it to participate in this system. Some may want to use it to participate and go appeal to the U.N. and make demands, et cetera. We're talking about enforcing human rights law. So those who have enough, I don't like to say courage, but those who have enough right. love. To stand up with us and enforce these human rights laws. All right, we got we got it, Ramzu. We got it. Uh, uh, Tabu, you, you, a final question or a follow up, and then we we got to move on. Okay, yeah. Well, are you speaking of the the uh, the systemic voting that you're speaking of? As you've mentioned, the system, because there are guidelines within that. These are constant. Don't are you, should we not be talking about constitutional rights if we're talking about voting in this system? Because that's where your power is. I asked us we fought for, and you have rights. You have constitutional rights that's enforceable by uh, law here. Now, it is my understanding, I'm no lawyer, that uh, uh, international uh, law is not enforceable here. It is enforceable. Yes, it is. Look, up, look at your rights, brother. Look them up. They're enforceable. That's why I right. was the king before he died. All right, so, yeah, Toby, so we're going to let you go because we got some more folks want to join this conversation. Okay. But I thank you for, for your, your questions, and thank you, uh, Brother Ramzu, for your response as well. Twelve away from the top, yeah, as I mentioned. Rights, brother, Dr. King said that right before this system that you're getting ready right. to vote for. They killed him right after he said, I'm moving from civil rights to human rights. Human, right. human rights. Uh, as I mentioned, 12 away from the top. Uh, Ra's joined us on line four. Good morning, Ra. Good morning. Yes. My question is about the incarcerated population, but I'm definitely curious about the response that the brother was giving. How is human rights enforceable? All right. Anyone, anyone on the panel want to? Uh, okay. uh, and Rod, thank you for okay. your question. We have a human right. Hold on, brother Ramzu. Go ahead. Ramzu, give me a minute. Let me, let me try to guide. First of all, I need to know is Ms. Mukharov still on? And it's Cam Cam Howard from Reparations. United. No, Cam's not here. But uh, Dr. Keeler's here. All right, so we get so we get right into it. Um, uh, uh, brother, human rights uh, is is a tough road in America. Let's be honest, because America uh, is, is duplicitous or hypocritical on the subject of human rights. Uh, uh, right now, technically, I could say this as a as a lawyer representing Black Lawyers for Justice that uh, right now, according to American law, the, the rulings of the Supreme Court are the constitutional law of the land, and, 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 their, so, and their constitutional rights are, are supposed to, to, to be analogous to human rights, which, which, which they are not, okay? And, and so unless uh, there's a force outside of America that is, that is powerful enough to, to get America to respect human rights, such as in Gaza, which she has not. When it came time for America to stand up for human rights uh, uh, and to uh, stand up against outright genocide against the Palestinians, uh, she went to uh, still silent at this moment, still vetoing United Nations resolutions at this at this moment. Uh, and so uh, uh, this is this is uh, this is not an easy equation. But we, as, as, as black peoples here in America, as what they call Afro-descendants, indigenous people, Moors, we have an inherent power inside of America to uh, bring about the establishment of human rights and self-determination 
uh, uh, by our own willpower here that we have exercised in the past, but we haven't exercised it fully. What we're saying here is that uh, outside of an outside court, which 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 uh, we recognize, International Court of Justice, United Nations, we're talking about us here, that we have here, 40 to 50 million of our people have have power, and that we have the power, and we've exhibited throughout the ages, through Garvey, through Elijah, through Dr. King, through Nat Turner, uh, uh, and through other manifestations of our brilliance as a people, we have the power if as, not if, as 40 to 50 million of us unite to take control, complete control of our land, our economic rights, our our political rights. Uh, uh, we have the power to take control of our youth that we see running through on TV, at least they show, running through shopping malls and, and things and stealing Gucci and whatnot, that we have a power and a, and a demand that we are making through our election upon ourselves to declare self-determination. And at the same time, we are going to hold this government accountable uh, uh, in terms of human rights, and we are going to change the scope of what is enforceable for human rights in America. We have made history in the past here as a people, and we intend to make it now. And so that's why I'm constantly asking y'all who listening to cast your vote at one eight seven seven five zero six two one eight four to text reparations into that number and answer the questions. It's asking all the questions you answer about whether you want to uh, exercise self determination. What is your identity, your lawful identity? It's asking you whether uh, to prioritize your, uh, whether you want to remain a U.S. citizen, whether you want a separate territory here of your own, whether you want to immigrate to Africa. This is a vote about our national destiny, and it's also an organizing tool. We're registering everybody for their reparations and for this self-determination fight. Uh, let me bring, let me let the Rams, let me let Sister Moon. I'll tell you what, hold that thought right there, at, at Council. We've got to take a short break. and we come back, we'll definitely speak with Dr. Akila Mukaram when we get back. But we've got to take another quick break here. We're six minutes away from the top of the hour. We're back in four minutes, family. You want to join this conversation with Attorney Malik Shabazz and his panel? Reach out to us at 800 450 7876. Your phone calls, as I mentioned, in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM. 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL where information is power. There's no doubt in my mind. I want to uh, reflect on something that uh, our conductor attorney Malik said. He said holding America accountable, this United States of America accountable. Not only are we going to hold them accountable, we're going to hold the United Nations accountable as well, because they're supposed to be spreading world peace and protecting everyone's uh, human rights, humanity on the earth. And the United States of America has been able to just break laws that were written in the uh, United Nations, which they are a part of, 
and that's not right. So if you're teaching or professing equity and equality for all people, you should be walking the talk and not just talking it. So, yes, there's no doubt in my mind that we're going to receive reparations. Uh, the one thing that Black people have not realized is our collective power, doing it together. We're disjointed, and we let so many other factors come into play. We must have a laser focus on what we want. We want reparations and self-determination. And that's what we're doing in the Afro-descendant nation and those organizations who are with us now working collectively. We're making decisions collectively and we want more organizations to come on with us and more people to come on with us and for our people to accept their identity of Afro-descendant. We must have a collective identity. We can't go for reparations disjointed with all our different organizations that we're in. We can be in different organizations, the freedmen, so you're just the freedmen Afro-descendant. So you don't give up what you are. Never give up what you are. You use that and you use your collective identity of Afro-descendant. That identifies us as a people. And I hope that the listening audience understands that as a collective people. Thank you so much for allowing me to speak. All right. Four after the top, I got some more folks want to speak to you. Howard's on line one. He's calling from L.A. Good morning, Howard. Good morning. Good morning. I have a question. I, I, as usual, I'm just waking up and catching in the conversation. But you talking about the United Nations. I want to know, could you explain the Security Council situation to me? And I just want to know, why is that when a vote comes up to, for Israel, the United States always be the one in the law of the, of the world? Like, what, what's, what's the deal behind that? I just want to understand how one nation can dictate the policies of the whole world like this. And uh, also, could you uh, explain the security, the, the makeup of the Security Council? As I understand, the United States, China, and Russia, I think uh, Great Britain or France might be on there. And uh, every so often, another nation will, like a rotating thing, like maybe next year, Jamaica might be on there. I remember one year, uh, uh, Nigeria is on the Security Council. Could you explain that to me? Because I just want to know, once you have the United Nations, if one nation can hold the whole world up. uh, That's a good question. Thanks, Howard. Uh, Counselor, you want to tackle that one? Let's tackle that right there. Let's tackle that right there. That's a very good question um, uh, because it it speaks to who runs the world, regardless of the label of the body called United Nations. Right now, um, this world that we're living in is is ran by who, who has the strongest military power and, and really has been ran like that for the last 6,000 years. And, and specifically the United Nations Security Council with uh, America, Russia, China, uh, France, and Britain, these are, con- these are controlled by the, the, the major players who had the most military power and 
and political influence at the end of, of World War II. Okay, and so how it is, my brother, that the United States can can just say veto any if if any nation on the Security Council can veto a vote to bring about a ceasefire in Gaza or or or, or any other vote. The United Nations can veto that vote, and they do, and they do veto that vote. And sad, sadly, we live in a world where America will say that uh, if I do veto that vote, what are you going to do about it? I mean, here's a nation here that that protests vociferously uh, and raises all kind of cane about war in Ukraine, and that the Russians are killing Ukrainians. But they sat right by there and watched the state of Israel um, uh, just murder uh, thousands, 25,000 Palestinians in the last three months. And they protected Israel. They coddled Israel. It's because uh, uh, they're the the new imperial power in that area. And so they clearly showed their hypocrisy. And so uh, what we don't want to do is... um, as we point out the hypocrisy in this, uh, and the United States bombs Yemen, they uh, they they flexing their muscles against Iran. I mean, clearly they they could protect and cover in Israel. And the question is, who's going to stop them? Uh, and so, if Russia has its sphere of influence, and they're saying who's going to stop us? America is a much bigger imperial power historically, or, and and the, and they're saying we're going to protect. Israel and and so right now it looks like a planet that says every man and woman for himself honestly as much as I hate to say it on this broadcast and we here in America black people in America what they call afro descendants uh, uh uh we have a unique power here we have a uh, uh and a unique mission and a unique destiny right here i can't tell you that uh, 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 that America will do anything inside of America for us if she's not uh, actually forced to do it by the will of our people. I can't tell you that she would do anything different. She has wiped out the Native Americans and the Indians to build this nation. She has completely either colonized, enslaved, or impressed us. Yet the light of hope, the light of hope for us lies in the success uh, uh, here of the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. It lies in the success here of the Honorable Marcus Mosiah Garvey. Even bringing about uh, uh, in his latter days beyond civil rights, bringing human rights not only here but to the planet. It comes from us, black people in America, Dr. King. And 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 so I want to say, my brother, uh, it's a tough world. We tell no lies and claim no easy victory. But right now, we got to focus on our struggle right here inside of America. And we must, we must establish self-determination. We must establish our independence. And we must, like, like other nations have, to establish their empires. We must be willing to commit our lives and put our lives on the line and, and to give life. Uh, 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 and, and I would even say beyond that. Uh, uh, to establish our independence. I mean, I mean, bottom line to it, we're going to live like free 
men and women, or we have to be willing to die in the process to create a better role for our future. Okay, yeah. and so and so that's why I'm here gathering, mo- mobilizing in this movement for those purposes. All right, hold that thought right there. Ten minutes after the top. There's more folks who want to talk to you. Let's go to line one. Ophelia's calling us from Raleigh. Uh, Ophelia, good morning. You're on with our panel. Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for doing this and allowing me to ask my question. Um, I think we people may get a little confused, and that's what I'm looking for, clarification. I'm still hearing from so many people that we are asking for reparations. We're saying that America owes us this and that and what we can get from them. A certain your right of self-determination is no longer asking. Is that correct? And why are so many people still thinking that we need to ask them for anything? All right, it's a good question. Thank you, Ophelia. Thank Counsel, you. you want to respond? The nature of a, of, a, of a demand is to either demand or ask. That's, that's part of what you do. You gotta. We have demands. We must be clear that that we that we have been robbed of our names, language, religion, culture, and our God. We have been robbed. We have been robbed, and we have a moral obligation to demand back from the robber uh, uh, of what they have robbed us for. But we're talking about some serious resources here: land and money. Land, uh, uh, territory, resources, we're talking about that has been taken from Africa. Our people have been taken. And so, yes, it is right to demand, but the question is, uh, how do you demand? Now, Minister Lewis Farrakhan has taught me that our demand uh, uh, means nothing unless it's backed by the power of our unity. Yes, you're asking and you're begging if you're just after your hand out demanding. Now, black people in the 1960s were not just uh, – uh, some of them were asking, but many of them were taking power over our own affairs. So what we're saying here is whatever we're going to get, whatever you're going to get, whether you're asking from your uh, – uh, or, or demanding from your enemy or from yourself, from the power that God gave you, you're still going to have to entangle with this system, uh, uh, and it's going to take a force. It's going to take a force. Like, I'm in Mississippi. I'm often on this line talking about police brutality. I'm still in the middle of fighting to get the goon squad sentenced and to fight the whole Rankin County accountable. That's been over a year here on this broadcast. So you're talking about, when you talk about areas like Mississippi, Louisiana, Georgia, where there, where there are strong black populations, you're talking about actively engaging a, 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 a white supremacist system that is lawfully in power and armed to, make, to stay in power. Uh, this is no lightweight equation, and words won't change it. Uh, so, I just say, so I just say this, that uh, uh, we, got a, we got a tough road ahead, and it, and it does mean exercising full and complete self-determination because we're going to need uh, more than just the power of our, we're going to need the power of ourselves right. and our guys. And hold that thought right there, Counselor. we got to take a short break here. 
14 after the top there. And somebody tweeted this earlier for you since you mentioned that you are in Jackson, Mississippi. They, the, the tweet says, are you aware of the 200 unmarked graves behind the police department in Jackson, Mississippi? If so, who's going to investigate? And I'll let you respond to that when we get back. As I mentioned, it's 14 after the top there. I'm discussing reparations, though, with our guest attorney Malik Shabazz, along with Dr. Akila Mukaram, and also Brother Ramzu is with us. You want to reach out to us? 800-450-7876. Your phone calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, or information is power. And good morning once again, family. 21 minutes after the top of the hour with our guest, attorney Malik Shabazz. Also, we have Dr. Akila Mukaram with us and Brother Ramzu discussing reparations. But as uh, attorney Shabazz mentioned, he was in Mississippi. So this uh, this tweet uh, person tweeted this earlier. And the question I'll read again, and I'll let you respond because we've still got a bunch of folks who want to talk to you. Are you aware of the 200 unmarked graves behind the police department in Jackson, Mississippi? If so, who is going to investigate? That was the tweet question. Okay, um, I'm a, I'm certainly aware of the unmarked graves in Jackson, Mississippi, and throughout Mississippi, as well as I'm aware of just the very uh, either scandalous way that Mississippi handles the death of persons, of primarily black persons. But there, there's a, this is shocking, and there's. And there's more shocking things we find out all the time. Uh, Attorney Ben Crump, from what I saw, has called on the Justice Department to to look into it. And and I believe the Justice Department under civil rights head Christian Clark will will look into it. I think the main thing that we're pointing out to when it comes to the continuing abuses and outrages amongst our people is that this is a systemic problem. And and and, when, and what, what we're saying to you as a leadership body today that we recognize that our problem is systemic, and that while we have attorneys such as myself, or attorney Crump, or uh, activists that are fighting back against this systemic problem, at the same time we must organize and unite for a systemic solution. Okay. And so I'll let my other uh, family comment on that because we need real power in states like Mississippi, more than power to respond and call for investigations or, or like myself, uh, be tied up for a good cause in litigation. Uh, 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 right now, one power that I must say that everybody under my voice uh, that we know that we can exercise right now, and that's economic power. And that, and that the economic power to sanction, the economic power to punish uh, 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 companies, corporations, states, and governments that are robbing us and that have robbed us and will rob us, our power to collectively organize, to place sanctions on them, that's a real power that we have, and that's, the, and that's one of the strongest powers that we have that we do not utilize is the power of economic sanctions against those companies and corporations, states and entities that are robbing us. All right. We got a bunch of folks got questions for you. Let's start with line six. Brother Ajabu is calling from Naptown, Indianapolis. Brother Ajabu, good morning. You're on with the panel. (laughs) 
Brother Carl, I don't like that nap because we ain't sleeping. Not all of us. But uh, I thank you so much for the opportunity to engage in this conversation. And actually, I had a couple of comments and then one question that I would love for uh, Brother uh, Malik uh, to to clear up what he has done so eloquently uh, in the past. Uh, A person asked uh, what is uh, human rights, and human rights are only acquired by force. History bears witness that no one's human rights is recognized if they're not willing to fight those who do not respect their right to be human. Secondly, uh, when uh, when you are, don't control the decision of that which you desire, then you're asking. So we're asking uh, the uh, United Nations to respect uh, the debt that we're owed from America because of our enslavement. And that's where I want to go with Brother Malik, uh, who who in the a teaching that they had here recently, uh, cleared that uh, very eloquently that when you talk about the uh, language Afro-descended, that's a legal definition that is being used in a legal arena uh, at the United Nations so that uh, we are at identified as a particular African that has gone through the Atlantic slave trade. And and he's uh, so eloquently, and I've joined late, and you might have already done this, but uh, my brother, if if you could could share that teaching uh, with the audience so that they're clear, so that they're they're, uh, uh, not confused about why we're using that language, not to define us as other than being Africans that all uh, emanated from the African continent and dispersed the world, but as uh, a legal definition to identify the specific history that we as a people have gone through here in America uh, because of America uh, and, and that enslavement and the debt that we're owed because okay. of that. Thank you yes, so much. We, All right. Thank you, yeah. Brother Jabu. Go yes, ahead. Yes, sir. If the question is, what is an Afro-descendant? Uh, an Afro-descendant is a is a descendant of Africa who has um, who has lost his human rights here in in the Western Hemisphere. Human rights are the rights to life, liberty, freedom, the pursuit of happiness, the right to be free from slavery and torture, and every other form of discrimination that we experience here in the Western Hemisphere as a result of uh, uh, either chattel enslavement and or Jim Crow and everything that results from it. We've, we've, we've lost our human rights. Uh, uh, as we say it again here on on this broadcast, we, we've not only lost rights, we've lost our our complete identity. And so, what we're saying is that, regardless to how we culturally or politically identify ourselves uh, uh, as a black man and a black woman, that that's that's correct language. Uh, I'm an African, of course, that's correct language. Some say I'm an African American. Well, well, that's correct language. Others say I'm indigenous. 
I'm a Moor. Some say I'm Ados. Uh, 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 I'm FBA. All of these, are, I'm Freedmen. They're all great titles. But lawfully, uh, uh, in, in terms of our pursuit for our human rights, has been recognized by United Nations organizations here in the Western Hemisphere and the courts around the world. It's Afro-descendant, which, uh, and we specifically, Afro-descendants in America, is our lawful uh, title and jurisdiction for legal purposes for asserting our I would demand for full and complete reparations. And so, uh, right. uh, I got a tweet and, question and for you. We are at yes. 30 minutes after the top. There, a tweet question from one of our brothers in Nigeria. How do we identify those who those fake people who would claim African heritage just to say just so they could get paid, even though they know they have no African ancestors ancestors in their blood? Anybody want to uh, tackle that one? That. Well, I'll just say one that I got to let others in on it. What I'll just say is our vote, our vote that I've been announcing here, our vote and, 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 and our efforts, um, they specifically pertain to, in this vote, though we're in solidarity with black people's struggle in the entire Western Hemisphere and all over the planet. We certainly are locked in the internal struggle. But this specific vote and this specific effort for reparations here is the primary focus is for for blacks here in America. Our voting procedures are geared and, and vetted, V-E-T-T-E-D, vetted towards making sure that only persons here that are that fit two categories, they're either descendants of the, of the transatlantic slave trade or uh, number two, that they are an indigenous person here in America, because we did come here before Columbus, that we are certified uh, indigenous in terms Well, let me jump in here, uh, Counselor, because I think the implication is that with, with the AI and the, all the boats going around, how are you going to weed those folks out who, who will claim, you know, use a, uh, create a, a, a character on the Internet and claim that they deserve reparations? I think that's the implication of the question. Uh, we don't want, I don't think we want to, we, we have, we, ultimately, all of that will be vetted out through professional procedures. All of that will be vetted out. I don't think we we want to tie up here on worrying about whether somebody that doesn't deserve reparations is going to defraud the system, or we got to get into a posture where we're looking uh, angrily at our African sister or brother like they finna come in and get something from us. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, uh, the African our African brothers and sisters are getting reparations in another form from the OAU and other forms. So. I just say, don't worry about that. Uh, right now, we're trying to, we're, we're here focused and, and have professional procedures to make sure that uh, that our vote, which is, again, is at one 506 2184 one 2184 Our votes are vetted. I said it because this specific vote is designed for our people here in America. Let Ramzu jump in. I haven't heard from him. Ramzu, quickly, because we're coming up on a break. Go ahead. 
Okay. You know, you know, rice is something that, that we have, regardless of what people say. We have a responsibility to assert our rights. We don't have to ask for those rights. Of course, in international law, there's something called the responsibility to protect. If the government is not is the one violating, if other governments, including the U.N., don't come to the rescue, skewed, then it's acknowledged, even at the U.N., even by the United States, that those who are victims have a right to resist, just like the Palestinians have a right to resist and assert their right. All those organizations, all kinds of organizations all around the world, law organizations, human rights law organizations, lawyers, professors of law, all of them agree that the Palestinians still do have a right to resistance, even though the powers that be are denying them at the UN level. They have a right to resist. That's lawful. Just like us in America, we have a right to do what's necessary to assert our human rights, regardless if the United States is going to answer our grievances or not. We have a right to resist and assert our rights without asking. All right, hold that thought right there. We're going to take a quick break, as I mentioned. 800-450-7876. Those are the magic numbers you want to speak to our panel. We'll take your calls in four minutes right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, you're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power. And good morning, family, and thanks for rolling with us for 22 minutes away from the top. I want to thank everyone who showed up for Baba Lumumba's uh, birthday party. It took place over the weekend at the Thurgood Marshall Center in Washington, D.C. Uh, Baba Lumumba is one of our griots. He's here on here frequently. He works out of the Moja House in the district. Before we go back to our panel, though, discussing reparations, let me remind you some of the folks who are going to be stopping by in the next few days, including University of Houston's Dr. Gerald Horn, holistic Dr. Stephen Tates out of Atlanta, and an Afrocentric educator, Dr. Kemet Shaw. They're all going to be here. So if you're in Baltimore, make sure your radio's locked in tight on 1010 WOLB. If you're in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450 WOL. I guess the attorney Malik Shabazz, along with Dr. Akilah Mukaram and also Brother Ramzu, discussing reparations. And we got a bunch of folks still want to talk to you. Ra is incarcerated. Ra is incarcerated on line four. Ra, your question for the panel again. Thank you. Can you hear me? Sure. Can you hear me? <clears throat> Hi. Can you hear me? We said sure. Come on, let's go. We, time is money here on the radio. Yeah. My bad. Um, as an innocent brother who was wrongfully accused and wrongfully convicted over 20 years ago, I would like to know how this panel plans to include brothers and sisters who are presently held POWs and mass incarcerated. Um, how are we to take part in the vote? And also, how can the talented 10th stand up and act in the best interest of those who have been ignored for so long if they've been complicit in ignoring the issues for the last 40, 50 years. All right. Thanks, Ra. Okay. That, that's, that's an excellent question, my brother. And I, I want you to cast your ballot because when you cast your ballot and you read that ballot, it talks about political prisoners. I think that's question number of four it, it, it it's it's or five it speaks to uh our political prisoners and therefore when you um when you register here i mean when you cast your vote here what it does is it connects you to the political prisoner movement and that there is that we do have political prisoners that is part of the reason why uh part of our argument that our human rights have been violated 
And and when you connect here with that vote, you're connecting to either the movement or the family members or the uh, political supporters of, of the greats that are behind bars, Jamil Alameen, uh, Mumia Abu-Jamal, and others. We absolutely uh, support political prisoners. So, again, it's, it's 877-506-2184. And now you get the ballot by typing reparations and putting it in there. But I also want to say that if you take that number, to be able to reach out like I do, majority of the people, 95 percent don't have that option. So how would they be able to tap in? No, text. Everybody got that phone. No, he was saying uh, they're incarcerated, uh, Brother Malik. They're incarcerated, so they don't have that ability. Because I know we have some brothers out on the West Coast who listen to us who are incarcerated as as well, and they listen to us every day, so I'm sure they would be concerned as well. But, Ron, thank you for your call. Uh, uh, Counselor, your response to the brothers who are in in captivity? What we have to do is if they just text that number outside of the vote, if if they lock behind bars, what we need to do is um, we, we have a we have the political prisoner networks and the lawyers. I can't say that we can solve every political prisoner problem, but we know who our political prisoners are from the Black Liberation Army and from the Black Panther Party. And and if you can and, and to get down with our network, you can text that number also. We will answer the text, and we are absolutely in support of the political. All right. 18 away from the top of the hour. Marvin's on line one. Marvin's in B-more. Marvin, good morning. You're on with the panel. How you doing, Carl? Excellent, brother. Your question for the panel. Yeah, what I wanted to ask him is that um, when they do decide to give black people reparations, what's the next step? Mm. Well, interesting. Thanks, Marvin. Uh, that's that's a wonderful question, but um, you know, you say when they do decide to give black people reparations, what's the next step? Okay, let's assume that it's just all that easy that they just give it to us, and what's the next step? I, you know, I believe that it comes about as a process of struggle, and 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 it is absolutely is going to be an all out. It is an all out struggle, and will be an all out struggle. And therefore, uh, we will know what's next because we will be what's next. But let's just say hypothetically we got a, 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 some of what's due to us, $10 trillion to, to $100 trillion in land and, and assets. And, um, well, by that time, I, 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 I do know that uh, enough of our leadership uh, at that stage will – be at the table together so we can decide collectively uh, uh, how to proceed forth as our people. But I mean, if we have reparations, brother, that means we have land. That means we have. That means we would have land in America. It'll be fertile, minerally rich, and fertile land that we would start p- producing off of. Uh, uh, if we had uh, reparations, I mean, that means we would just. We wouldn't we wouldn't be seeking grants for Howard University and other black colleges. I mean, then we would we would we would erect our own colleges, um, and and so we would execute on what we have. We would we would be building what we call 
a nation of our own, a nation of our own, an educational system of our own. Uh, uh, so, so getting reparations, sir, means execution, executing on the nation question, the building of a nation, uh, uh, the establishment of a defense force, a military and defense of our own, um, um, any number of things that, that, that go Well, let me jump for a second here, Counselor, because I think Marvin's question is that he thinks that there was just some some workshops or something. So as soon as we get it, we don't turn it back and give whatever it is, whether it be land, education, uh, cash, then turn it back and give it back to the oppressor. I think that's the implication okay, that, in this question. That's, okay, thank you. In short, that's not going to happen because the process of obtaining reparations is a collaborative process where uh, black leaders and organizations from various perspectives are fighting for it right now they're working through it right now. They're at the table right now. And and so there is a, a, a broad collective body of leadership that are that will ultimately decide these decisions together uh, 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 at that point. OK, so so there's not going to be a vacuum where this just pops into our hands. It comes about as a result of collaborative struggle. And the decisions that are made are being made collaboratively, and they shall be made collaboratively, not only amongst the leaders, but by our people. That's why we're asking everybody to consent in this vote. Right now, in the vote, it asks, it's asking you many questions about your future and, and when, what you want your future to be. And so uh, 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 this is a collaborative process and it's about gathering consent that's why we on this line pushing the what's called the plebiscite our national referendum of vote that we want you to text reparations text the word reparations to 877-506-2184 because it's asking you your questions and your preferences. This is the first plebiscite. There are more questions. We're getting your consent as to what you want so that we're not left in the dark. All right. It's 13 away from the top. I'll shout out Marilyn Moultrie going on trial uh, today, this morning. We keep an eye on that trial for folks who understand what's going on in Baltimore with Marilyn Mosby. 800-450-7876. Tanya is calling from D.C. on line four. Good morning, Tanya. Tanya there on line four? Yes, sir. I am grand rising, everybody. Um, and I want to thank the panel for this opportunity. So I've got a quick question. Isn't a right something we have and we assert without having to ask if we can enjoy that right? So quickly to that point, aren't self-determination and reparations right? Like, why do we have to feel like we have to ask? Thank you. All right. Thanks, Tanya. Because right now, it's, ma'am, it's just a theory, and it's on paper until it's carried into action. In theory, it's a right. But unless you have that right, when you say assert that right, that means if just to say you want to assert the right to uh, for the control over the police in your community. Well, if you live in Prince George's County, Maryland, right now the Prince George's County Police Department has X amount of thousands of officers that have an annual budget of force some cops, some guns and badges that control the, the Prince George's County or the state of Maryland has X amount of state troopers. So it's good on in theory to say, yes, we, we have the right to assert the right. But do you have a police force? 
some cars, vehicle, a budget, and some money to take over the existing force you have right now. Other than that, that's just a theory that we have right. Okay, so what we're missing here is that we have is that we if we have the persons with rights that are standing up to organize and to and not only to enforce their rights, to raise the, the the necessary budgets, the armies and the forces to take these rights. And see this that's the missing question. This is this is not a theoretical exercise. This is this is going to take some millions of black people determined to engage in what we call nation building or taking back our rights right now uh, in any number of ways. We have the right to exercise self-determination, right? We don't have to ask. We don't have to ask anybody to tell us that, that we got X amount of black youth running around all these cities in America that are that are either not productive or wreaking havoc on our own community. We can't ask anybody for that. But have we have we taken that right to take our natural born army that's out here in the streets? This this young army in the street that's wreaking havoc on us? We have we have not I'm talking about us, me, you, us here on the phone. We have not raised our army out of our youth. They are out of our control right now. There are many areas of self-determination that yesterday we should have taken control of, and we and we pass due on that right now. We're past due on, on, on many of these items. That's why we're on this phone line. All right, 10 away from the top. Erica's checking in on line four, calling from Maryland. Good morning, Erica. Good morning. Good morning. I'm glad that we are speaking of reparations again. And um, you may have answered my question, but my main concern is, uh, since Donald Trump was in the office and there were a lot of reparations talk amongst the, the white Republicans and the white Democrats and all, and uh, the country know that we're getting economically stronger. They always want to take what we have. So with all these mixed folks, these mulattoes, I mean, I know they're, um, uh, you know, the 1%, you know, but how are we going to separate out the folks who are, mixing with us so they can get some of that money or community buildings or community property, whatever, so they can take it right back to their white community. All right. Thanks, Erica. Anybody want to talk about organizing with us, by organizing with, by, by, by organizing with, with your, with the representatives that are conducting this plebiscite and this vote that I've been pitching on this line by organizing with us and with these organizations that that have your trust, some of the most trustworthy organizations here, we will make sure that, that you don't get used to get uh, your phone's going south on us, Counselor. Well, so, yeah. uh, but we got to wrap up real soon. So I want to give Dr. Akila a chance to say something and also Ramsu. So Dr. Akila first, your thoughts. Dr. Keeler there? Yes. Uh, can, okay. Can you hear me? Sure. Okay. All right. Thank you. I wanted to uh, say, since we're uh, wrapping up, that it is uh, so important that we first identify ourselves legally as Afro-descendants. That is a collective unity. And 
a power that comes with with that. Once we make it a household name, we have to make it a household name, just like we made reparations a household name. So that's the first thing. Right. The second is the, this uh, plebiscite. It is so important that we uh, do that and move us move us forward. And that's, a, again, a sign of our collective unity. All Thank right, you. cool. That'll work. Uh, Counselor Attorney Malik Shabazz, before we go, can you give out that number again? Yes, I can. That's, that's please, text reparations to one eight seven seven five zero six two one eight four eight seven seven five zero six two one eight four. That immediately gets you the ballot, the vote, the plebiscite for reparations. It comes right to your phone. Takes two minutes for you to fill out and submit your name and your email, and also you register, register with the reparations movement and get you right in line to a, to uh, uh, for this reparations and self-determination that is rapidly building throughout America. All right. Well, thank you for you guys for staying on top of the reparations issue. Thank you for all of us. Thank you for sharing that information today. And folks who called in late, you got to call in early if you want to speak to our panel. Don't wait till the last minute. Family, we're done for the day. we got to run. Stay strong. Stay positive. Please stay healthy. We'll see you tomorrow morning, 6 o'clock, right here in Baltimore on 1010 WOLB. Also in the DMV, we're on FM 95.9 and AM 1450. WOL, where information is power.